does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. So, Jimmy, this is an Indianapolis sports talk radio program, (laughs) which means that we're going to focus mostly on what happened last night in Houston, which that's the Pacers, as well as some college basketball and continue our talk about the Colts' inevitable path towards world domination and getting to the Super Bowl this year. But (laughs) I am curious, since we have not seen you since, just from your perspective as an admitted Kansas City Chiefs fan, what is your... One to ten, what is your level of concern, and how much did it ruin your holidays? <laughs> level of concern in the context of like where their expectations are, right? Like I thought going in, they should still contend for a Super Bowl. The scale on that is an eight. Okay. An eight being like, yeah, I'm super concerned, and I think that they're probably going to, if they are fortunate enough to lock down the division, which I think they should this weekend. But then again, I thought that last weekend – They'll get a home playoff game as long as they don't play like the Browns because I feel like the Browns defensively, the way Kansas City's playing, would do just nightmarish things to them. Um, I think they'll win a home playoff game. They'll probably lose on the road, and then you need to revamp everything in that wide receiver room over the offseason. Yeah, the receiving room is – we talked about that yesterday, right? Or I they mean, can just get rid of Taylor Swift. I mean, that's that's the problem I mean, with Jimmy. They could, they, that's the real they, problem. They, yeah, they. I, she has nothing to do with anything other than Correct. that happiness there of Travis Kelsey. <laughs> okay. Yesterday, Jimmy, I don't know if you noticed, but Brennan King was in for you yesterday. I didn't know that. We had a surprise guest yesterday, and this is the time of year during the holidays when people come to visit and you can't get rid of them. You know what I mean? What, what do they say about – uh, relatives at the holidays, it's like fish. Here he comes. After two can, days, they stay. I see him coming, Jake. I see him coming. He is, Harry C. I, I thought he left yesterday, but apparently he is still here hanging around in the hallway and now walking into the studio. <laughs> it is correct. Robin the Genie, I stayed the night here. The lovely, by the way, spacious studio. I, I, I spent the night in your old studio because you have moved and it's vacant. But I was asking all of you yesterday... But Jimmy was not here, so I stayed to get his opinion. Very kind. Jimmy Cook, I did not want you to feel left out, so please, for me, write on a sheet of paper your prediction for the Super Bowl in February, the two teams that shall participate. Now, I didn't hear this uh, segment yesterday, so is this like a legitimate write it on a paper, give it to Eddie, and then open it up on Super Bowl weekend, or am I just actually speaking who I think is going to be there? Speaking. Okay, I just want to make sure. Didn't know how literal we were taking. I have a reservation at <laughs> Weber Grill across the street, so I, think, I will be leaving shortly. I think it's going to be the 49ers and the Dolphins. I'm ordering mahi-mahi across the street. Enjoy that. Very fitting. Enjoy that mahi-mahi. I will write down and record your prediction. Eddie, you had the Cleveland Browns in San Francisco, right? I did. I don't really think these are going to be the two teams, to be honest with you. I I really think right now the two best teams are San Francisco and Baltimore, but that's just such an unpopular – I mean, it's such an easy narrative. So I went with Cleveland and Dallas. But it really is hard to see. The NFC feels... Why are you both on Cleveland? Is it just the defense? The defense Do you feel like, so yes, good. that's going to carry well, you in Flacco's? Flacco's looked good. Like, I just... there's Jimmy, there's really no... This is the way I look at it when you are looking 
this time of year at predicting the Super Bowl. Okay. We've seen enough now. There's enough body of work out there that which teams are have been the most consistent and overcome the most the topsy turvy times and have stayed the course the most consistently. And truth be told, you know, Miami's offense is electric. But for example, and I think two is really good. But if he's not able to get the ball, like, say, to a Tyreek Hill for one game, you know, it, it kind of slows everything down. And Buffalo, when they're on, is really good, but they also have off days. The Indianapolis Colts have days where if Minshew's playing at a high level and now with Jonathan Taylor healthy, they can surprise some people. They can do like a 94-letter-rip run, 95. But, but – there are too many times where things just collapse for them. Um, with the one team to me that has been the most consistent of their strength is Cleveland. That defense has not wavered the whole year. And in the postseason, when the weather kind of gets crappy and everything else, you know, that slows teams down naturally in its own self. But if you have a really strong defense, that can carry you. And that's the one area that they have not been wavered in. They That defense is delivered for them consistently through the course of the year. Then Dallas, I think Dallas, you know, San Francisco gives you the best law of averages here, right? Because they played the best, the most consistent for sure. Philadelphia at their best is really good, but, they, but we see now that their best is not necessarily every single game. And Dallas at their best is extremely competitive, and they're good. But again... They also take some games off, but I just, so I really do think it's probably San Francisco, but just to kind of be an iconoclast, I went with Dallas. The NFC though does feel like, it it, it seems like if there's going to be like a six or seven seed that's going to shock the world and carry their way into the, into the Super Bowl, it's going to be out of the AFC, don't you think? Yeah, I would agree with you. And I would take that a step further and... If we're looking at like what I'm rooting to have happen, take the Chiefs out of the equation entirely. Like I, I would love to see Detroit make a run here. Like I think that would make a lot of people happy. Like I get, I'm not saying from a rooting interest standpoint, just like oh wow, the Lions are not only back in the playoffs for the first time in 30 years, but they're going to make a run to the Super Bowl. How about that? That'd be great to root for that. That said, and Jake, tell me if you agree with this or not. If you gave me the choice of the top two seeds right now, and you gave me the choice of you feel more confident in the top two seeds or the field in each conference, I feel far more confident if you gave me San Francisco and Philadelphia than I do Baltimore and Miami. Like where things stand right I, now. I would agree with that. I, Partially your because point. of Buffalo, right? Correct. Yes. I mean... And I also think, like, even though my panic number is an eight for Kansas City, like, they're running out of time. Like, I, I don't know that they're going to figure it out. But in some of their losses this year... It's been a turnover here, a drop pass here, and that's the difference sometimes, right? Their margin for error is basically zero in this current form. That said, like, their defense has played great this year. Like, they could still, despite everything, make a run. I, I just don't, like I said, I you know, panic numbers an eight. For years, Jimmy, in the college football playoff, and good afternoon to you, by the way, on a Wednesday that feels like a Tuesday. My name is Jake Quarry. That is Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison here as well. It is Quarry and Company. On 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. 
Uh, if you're a listener, then you are part of the company, by the way. Jimmy Cook is the CEO. Is that right? No, you're the president, right? Correct. Eddie Garrison is the CEO of the company. Um, and we need to get back in that. People calling in and letting us know what area of the company they are. Because I love when people come up to me and say, hey, man, I'm in the company. And I want to keep that alive for 24. We're hiring in 24, by the way. We are hiring in 24. We lifted a hiring freeze to get Brendan uh, That's right. off of the intern status. And he is now hired. So we are hiring in 24. Paul is our director of giddiness. That position is filled, right? Uh, we have several women that have volunteered to be the CFO of the company. We have no HR department, and Derek is our uh, leader of veteran affairs. Outside of that, we're wide open. Um, but the but back to the point about the college or the NFL playoffs. If you look at the college football playoff, there have been several years, Jimmy. This year might have actually been one of them. But there, there were several years, I want to say one of the COVID years, that Ohio State was beaten late in the year and did not, as a result, get to go to the Big Ten championship game. But they still got in the college football playoff because everybody knew they were one of the four best teams. And there have been other years where Ohio State stubbed their own toe and as a result, they were left out. And literally anybody that had a half a brain that liked anybody that was a fan of anyone other than Ohio State was like, do not let Ohio State in. Do not let them in because they are literally the wolf that's going to come in and ruin the party and eat all the chickens, right? Just because everybody knew Ohio State was was in those years, even if their record didn't indicate it, they knew they were one of the four best teams. And that's the Buffalo Bills this year, is it not? Like, I'm not saying they're one of the four best teams in the, in football, but when they are playing at their highest level and Josh Allen is doing Josh Allen things, you don't want any part of them. You don't want any part of them. And that's the team that I think people are like, okay, let's just keep them out, right? Um, last night in Houston, Pacers 123-117 over Houston. I, I'll tell you what, Jimmy, I think, would you agree with this? It's great to see the Pacers win a game. And as much as as much fun as it was for the in season tournament and for them to be the conversation of the league and Tyrese Halliburton's coming out party as a superstar or a rising star, but probably a better way of saying it. You, you couldn't sustain winning games one forty five to one forty forever, right? And it's weird to think they're only a game over 500. I mean, it's not like they're setting the world afire, but we had said forever, and what you're seeing now for the Pacers is the awkward teenage pimply headgear years. They're they're learning their way. They're going through puberty right now, and they're going through some growing pains of, for a long time, like the Pacers were – the teenage kid that was three inches taller than everyone in the class but kind of tripped over themselves and was awkward. And now their body's filling out a little bit. And it's kind of awkward. And on certain days, they look like Adonis. And on other days, they look like they don't know what to do with themselves. And as they are learning how to kind of morph from an offensive juggernaut that had zero regard for defense into a team that does prioritize defense in particular down the stretch they're going to have some areas where they look kind of gangly I thought last night at one point on the floor if I'm not mistaken their their lineup on the floor at one point was Miles Turner 
Um, Isaiah Jackson. I believe Jalen Smith was on the floor as well. I think Smith and Turner interchanged, so it might have been Smith-Jackson. It was probably when Turner got into foul trouble. Yeah, Neesmith, Nimhard, and then Halliburton. And then Heald came in eventually for, I think it was Neesmith. When Neesmith and eventually Smith came in. But my point being, when you had Jackson, Smith slash Turner, one or the other, with Nimhard and Neesmith on the floor, you finally had some legitimate defensive effort, but you compromise a little bit offensively. I mean, Buddy Heald comes in and, you know, he does Buddy Heald things where, yeah, he was only 3 of 11 from three-point range, but he hit like two of them in like a 90-second stretch and it and a lead went from three back up to like eight or nine. And you're like, okay, that's why he's out there. Halliburton... When Halliburton has the ball in his hands, he is an absolute magician. There's no doubt about it. 33 points, 10 assists last night. He does have an ability to 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 get two rebounds. I mean, you know, six of them. But on the defensive end, there are times where, not times, the majority of time for Halliburton. If the ball's not the 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 challenge for Halliburton right now, and I think he's aware of it. I don't think he's like obstinate about it. But the challenge for Halliburton, Jimmy, quite frankly, is to keep him invested when the ball's not in his hands, quite frankly. That sounds harsh, but in particular on the defensive end, I think at times he gets caught napping a little bit or just almost like almost like he's daydreaming about what can happen at the other end of the floor. Happened you know a couple I mean? times late last night, especially on avoiding second chance rebounds and that's not always his fault like sometimes he just has a bigger totally guy on agree. him like, i know exactly there, totally there agree. were two or three times last night where it's like you're looking at the ball why where's the self-awareness to oh this guy's gonna come around me and take that like and again sometimes he was undersized and i don't fully fault him for that but other times yeah you know exactly what i'm talking about it, it felt like asleep at the wheel uh, additionally and i, I want to give as you have done defensively this team a lot of credit because I thought after the, and Eddie, correct me if I'm saying his name wrong, even though I heard it 15 times last night. Alperin Shangun. Alperin, one more time on the first name? Alperin Shangun. Shangun. After about the fourth or fifth time that Shangun put Miles in a blender, I thought that, okay, this is they're going to pack it in. This is going to be it. And then Miles winds up responding the final two and a half minutes defensively. And he had a really solid game. I'm not trying to just single him out, but that's the matchup that he drew more often than not. Most notably late when the Rockets are trying to either tie the game or get back within a possession. He has just a great kind of baited Sengun into it and has a nice rejection that leads to a Pacers basket on the other end. This is another sample size game of, as you mentioned, Jake, if you're going to take the foot off the gas to some extent offensively to focus on defense, how far is the drop-off? And again, Houston is not Milwaukee, which they're going to play here in a couple of weeks twice. They're not Boston, which are going to play here in a couple of weeks to open the year. But they are a team that are in a similar boat as you in regards to pursuit of a playoff spot in the Western Conference. So you're just looking at where they are standings-wise together. I think the Pacers are more put together than Houston is in terms of like where they want to go. This is a Rockets team that poured a lot of money into this roster in the offseason. Feels like they have a nice young core, and they were 12-2 and two at home going into that, and the Pacers lost four straight. So to have that type of response game for yourself, now 2-2 two and two over these last four, I still would like them to close to be 4-2 and two going into the calendar year when we turn. That said, though, all around, they were able to make enough plays, especially late, to pull this out in Houston.
Uh, this, by the way, from <clears throat> Jim Merritt. Hey, Jake, is the company government affairs position open? Yes, and I'll tell you why. Two reasons why Jim Merritt's hired is our director of governmental affairs on the company. Number one, because he has experience in mayoral campaigns, and eventually, when I run for mayor, he's he's the guy that I'm. He's going to be my campaign manager to to help me out here. Uh, and again, when I run for mayor, and again, part of my part of my thing of my mayoral campaign, Jimmy, uh, and again, call it brilliant foresight. A lot of what I run on, all I have to do is mention it, and then it eventually starts happening. Rockstar. What's that? <laughs> Rockstar Mountain I do, Dew. I do run on that too, right? Um, good. That was a that was a quick line there, Eduardo. So, for example, the scooters. I said that when I become mayor, the scooters are all going into White River. Well, one of those companies just filed bankruptcy anyway. So, problem solved, right? Half of it's right right out the window, <laughs> taken care of. Secondly, who is the who is the one person? Do you guys remember? See you. Thank you. Okay. Do you guys remember? And I and I can't recall to be honest whether it was on this program or when I was doing the sure. morning show, but. Does Green Lawn Cemetery mean anything to you guys? No. Okay. Was the lawn green? It was. Good. Because it was fertilized Wait, by is the fact the, it was a cemetery. Is this the cemetery that was uh, before the Diamond District? So, yes. So, when when the Indy 11, and don't get me started on my whole thing about my apprehension, which is going to end up biting this city about the amount of money that we're going to have to pay for this Indy 11 project which is the most under-the-table, behind-the-scenes thing ever. And I, I give credit to the 11, I, you know, I kudos to them. But they still have yet to say, to my knowledge, how much public money is going to end up going into the Indy 11 park for a team that's never going to be in the MLS. But I digress. They got the land of the old diamond chain factory warehouse district, okay? Yep. For relatively inexpensive because nobody else had purchased the diamond chain property. And the reason they hadn't purchased the diamond chain property is because there were two things in play that virtually everyone backed away from. Number one, there is still a, a huge amount from the diamond chain. When diamond chain moved in, there already were, were like oil oil and like fuel petroleum stuff in the soil itself i mean it was kind of a hazmat issue and i can't remember call if that was from stuff they had within their own division or stuff that had been there prior but the biggest thing was this diamond chain left the blueprint the diamond chain warehouse or factory whatever you want to call it corporation left the blueprint saying each time that they did renovation to that property, which is just west of Lucas Oil Stadium across the river, they would run into, understandably and rightly so, a huge red tape and then stalled issue because human remains would be found, which then, you know, you don't just discard human remains. I mean, you have to, there's a lot that goes into that. That is the site of the original Green Lawn Cemetery. The Green Lawn Cemetery was the largest cemetery in Indianapolis until Crown Hill, that was predominantly an African-American or essentially the pauper cemetery of Indianapolis in the early 19th, late, ni- late 19th, early 20th century. And so while they decided to eventually utilize the land, and you got to consider that many of the graves that were in the Green Lawn Cemetery, totally unfairly and unjustly, but it is a reality of the times, historically speaking, many of the graves that were there 
were among a class or a group of people that city and society at that time had deemed to be in a lower class. So it was as if their remains were not of the value or the preservation necessity of other areas. So Greenlawn Cemetery was essentially the pauper cemetery or the mass cemetery of African-Americans. And then when they decided to develop it for industrial purposes, they allegedly exhumed all of the graves. Well, there were like, I don't know, something like seven or 8,000 people buried there. And so they allegedly exhumed all of them and moved them to, I believe, a mass grave, I think in Crown Hill. I can't recall exactly. But Diamond, when the Diamond Chain built their building and each time that they would do renovations or expand, they would consistently be stalled because they would unearth more remains. And you don't just like all of a sudden throw those into a recycle bin. I mean, there are authorities that have to come in and all kinds of situations that go, well, lo and behold, what happened? The Indy 11 buys that and everybody says, um, actually, you know what? Like, it, you're not just going to come in and dig up and put a stadium in there. You're going to run into issues because you're going to come across not only hazmat situations from the prior tenants, but also, oh, yeah, that's right, human remains. And guess what happened? <laughs> guess what happened? They didn't find it. I'm just kidding. They found some. Yes. Turns out gonna, not everybody was exhumed. And from- they're going to continue to find them. And this is going to take forever understandably so because you have that is the that is the you, resting place you said that wrong it's for nice. ever <laughs> <There you go. laughs> yes that is true i'm telling you so at any rate mayor jake could have seen that coming but jim Merritt, number one because he can help out with my mayoral campaign but number two uh, my girlfriend shannon's first job in indianapolis she worked for a company that was owned by jim Merritt and his family <clears throat> And never once does his name come up where she does not immediately say, he is the nicest guy and the best boss I've ever had. So for that reason, because he's the nicest guy and the best boss ever, he has to be in the company, right? We need some nice in the company. We need high-level culture. Yes, I agree. We need some nice in the company. Yep. Um, But back to the point, because again, uh, bright light and quick squirrel that flashed past. I thought last night down the stretch for the Pacers, you know, they did what they needed to do. And Houston's not bad, actually. Uh, You know, Houston is – they have some young pieces for sure. Um, Go ahead and give me the name of the Turkish star again, Eddie. Alperin Shingun. Is he – is Alperin Shingun the least known 20-point-per-game scorer in the NBA? I I would be willing to say yes. <laughs> I would say no. Ooh. Okay, hold on. So so let's let's we're gonna play this game, Eddie. You ready? I'm gonna look up on NBA.com the scoring. I'm not saying you're wrong. The NBA scoring lead or the the scoring leaders in the association right now. Okay, and we are going to look at the 20 point per game scores and see how many of them would be listed above. Our boy in Houston, in terms of the obscurity level, because it's pretty high, right? Now, here's the problem. I'm trying to get to NBA.com, and it automatically takes me to the Pacers page, and I can't just get to the regular NBA page for the scoring leaders. That means you're a loyal consumer of Pacers.com content. It's driving me crazy. Okay, now I'm here. I would say if you're an NBA fan, you know that Alper and Shingun is really good. And that he's averaging 20, but I don't think if you're a a common fan, I don't think you would. uh, Okay. Just for example, I just said it so that here's the thing. I will bet you 20 bucks. 
if we lined up right now five callers about Alper and Shangun, and I asked them two different questions about them, I'll bet you none of the five would be able to answer the two questions that I'm about to ask. What do you want to bet? And he's a very good player for sure. Uh, I'd probably, I'd probably side with you on this point of it. I, I would bet you if there, and, and to your point, Eddie, there are two different things here. There are Pacer fans and NBA fans, right? Correct. Avid followers of the NBA, like if you play fantasy basketball and that kind of thing, you, you know, you may be right. But of 20-point-per-game scores, okay, I'm looking right now, all of these names, Jeremy Grant, maybe? Mikael Bridges, maybe? Are, are guys that might be, people would, would struggle with? I don't know, man. I think, okay, give me one. I got one here. Oh, he's not 20 point per game, though. He's not 20 point. Devin Vassell's got to be up there, right? Vassell, yeah. Vassell, uh, sorry. Case in point. Uh, yeah, case in point, right? Exactly. I, mean, I, know, I, know, I, I, know, I know he was a Florida State guy, right? Wasn't he on, didn't he play for Leonard, ha- Leonard Hamilton? But, yes. Okay, give me another one. Who do, who are you thinking of? What do you mean? You, you said that you don't think he would be the most obscure 20 point per game score in the NBA. I would throw Jaron Jackson Jr. into that conversation because I think everyone understands that he's a good player, but I don't think people view him as somebody who scores well, but, but, 21 a game. But I think people, I, I would agree with that, but I think people are more familiar with him. They know yeah. of him. Well, yeah, because he just won Defense Player of the Year. And, and, well, and I mean, Memphis that's I mean, is good. But people know who he is. Like, yeah. I would bet you. I think people would be surprised there's anybody on Detroit that's averaging north of 20. And, oh, hey, Kate Cunningham is. There you go. How about this? The Arizona Diamondbacks have won a game more recently than the Detroit, than the Detroit Pistons. Beautiful. I mean, it's not. I, I feel for Detroit fans. I do. But if you're going on timing, point, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they both last won on the same day, October 28th. You just well actually him. What'd you say? <laughs> I just said you just well actually him. Yeah. <laughs> the Arizona Diamondbacks have won a game more recently than the Detroit Pistons. They both won on Saturday, October 28th. <laughs> okay. The Arizona Diamondbacks have won more recently than the Detroit Pistons. That is, that is true. That is a fact. Okay. It is. Look it up. I did yesterday. Okay. They both won on Saturday, October 28th. What time? You know what I'm saying? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I did not go that far down into the, the Rolodex. If you did, you would realize that I'm right, and the Arizona Diamondbacks have won more recently than the Detroit Pistons. Every I second did, counts, I, Eddie. I didn't, I didn't say you were wrong. I was just saying, hey, they won the same day. Okay, but again, the fact that a Major League Baseball team who hasn't played in four months. 61 days. Whatever it may be. But I want to go back to the point, though. Tell me a player in the NBA that more, like, it has to be the most obscure 20-point-per-game score in the league, right? Franz Wagner? Is he averaging 20? 20 and a half. I, I think more people would know of him because he played collegiately in the Big Ten. Yeah, based on the the category of information of a Franz Wagner, of a Cade Cunningham, of oh, I remember that guy from college. Yeah, you have I mean, that heard advantage the name already. Before, right? How right. many play? How many? I think you'd be surprised, Eddie. How many people last night watching that game were like, "I've never heard of this guy." Maybe I don't know. Okay, I'll look. I'll throw the hand up. I, I've fallen behind on the NBA this year than the Pacers. And usually, like in years past, I pride myself on like being Eddie, like consuming all I can with the NBA. I had to pull a shack here. I was unfamiliar with your game, young man. To what I'm saying is this. I, I'm, I not, no I'm not saying that they would be surprised that they're averaging 20. 
I'm saying of players that are averaging 20 a game. You could name the player. The one that the fewest number of people yeah. would, would admit to have known their name or their background. Yeah, I would agree. You know, Cam Thomas yeah. or Jaron Jackson or you know Wagner. I mean, at the very least, people are like, oh, yeah, I remember him because he played at Michigan. Or I remember right. him because you know he was with the Nets There's or whatever. There's more crossover points Correct. than an international player. But a, but yes. a, a 21-year-old player that was selected in the first round by Oklahoma City, who've had 15 first-round selections in the last three years, that played professionally in Turkey and then came over and is playing for a team that a year ago was one of the truly fledgling teams in terms of their roster. You're saying that's not a household name? Correct. I'm saying (laughs) I'll bet you most people listening to me right now are like... Again, it's the crossover points. There's not as many areas for recognition based on some of the other guys we've listed off. I'm not going to argue that. But nonetheless, good player. And and I thought down the stretch last night, the guy that didn't get enough praise, Jimmy, and he just doesn't in general, he doesn't get enough praise in general, is Miles Turner. Miles Turner yes. made plays yep. down the stretch defensively. I mean, you know, down the stretch when they needed it, he did hit he hit a 3 but aside from that he i think a lot of people lose sight of this miles turner when he's the only one left on the island sure he's going to struggle but when miles turner is out there with a jalen smith or with an isaiah jackson kind of running alongside of him and, and kind of helping him on the other side he is a really good rim protector that not only holds his ground and manages to for the most part avoid fouls with it but to run interference and then create their transition the other way. And at the very least, if their transition stalls and he's the last one down, he can hit a three as soon as he gets down there. There were a couple times where he had to go out on the perimeter with Sangoon. I thought he got cooked in the fourth early on and thought that that was going to lead to what you were going to see the rest of the final frame. And it didn't. He affected a couple of shots, two dunks that like would have probably been layup line like dunks if Miles is there to close late that basically had point swings to them down the stretch. And yeah, it was there for timely rebounding. You're right, Jake. If you're putting him as the last line of defense anywhere, any scenario you want on an island, the last bouncer at the club, like he's not going to let people in more often than not. Sure, maybe one person's going to know the secret entrance over there that he's not monitoring, but otherwise it it is as good a luxury for the way they want to play as anybody on this roster. And maybe is any point in that role in the NBA right now. The... Last night when they needed it down the stretch, they were able to make plays, and it was good to see, right? And, and that's that's a good basketball team they did it against. Uh, Dustin, is it Dopirak or, or Doparak? Dopirak. Dopirak. You know, I, and I mean there's no disrespect for I them. know. It's the Osterman-Osterman complex. I know it's Osterman. I, I know you do now, but let's see. So this is the one I've got to work on now. Dopirak, right? Eddie, I'm correct on that, yes? Thank you. Eddie nods. Eddie nods for the listening audience. Dustin Doperak going to join us 1 o'clock here on a Wednesday. It's Quarry Company, 93.5, The Fan. You know, not to derail the segment before it gets started, but I want to talk about this before we move about the cabin today. And I know we'll get into it. More Pacers coverage. Dustin Doperak coming up at the top of the hour. But it caught my eye in real detail about the second quarter of last night's game. I really like maybe more than any other alternate logo, and I think it's just brand new this year, the astronaut dunking the basketball. Do you really? Houston. Yeah, I don't know what it is. 
I maybe it's because cool. I like space, like exploration stuff like that. I like the history there, obviously of uh, Mission Control, everything in Houston and NASA. But the idea of the astronaut dunking the basketball—I don't know. I was I was infatuated with it. Since at times you like, last night. since you like space, sure. I've probably bragged this to you before. You know, one of the few things that I've done in my life that I think is pretty cool that only because I don't know how many people can say they did it, and it was completely by luck and chance. Actually, it was by simply asking that I was able to do it. You went to NASA. You sent us pictures from uh, Michigan. Aside from that, in addition to that. Okay, so, no, when no, I, no. so when IndyCar was racing in Houston, Paul Page, who has a great relationship with NASA and with just the Air Force in general, um, got us passes to go into NASA, into Mission Control and NASA in Houston. So we went in. We got a tour of NASA that was, I, I hate to say this, like I almost felt guilty because like we were the gerbils because like the, the real, the tours, the paid tours were like on the walkways behind on the other side of the glass, like looking down while we were like down, you know, we got to go into the flight director of the original moon landing into that whole room. I got to sit in the seat. Oh man. But then we went into, I don't know if I sent you this photo, but we went into the mission control of the space station. And you could see they had like a huge, the wall, essentially, the entire wall was a screen from the camera on the outside of the space station. And when we were there, it was, it was like six o'clock, I think in the evening in Houston. So it was like eight or nine o'clock in the morning in Australia and it was flying over Australia, but the, and I, and I don't know on what time zone the space station operates, but they were asleep. And the guy actually said, yeah, we're getting ready to wake them up for the day. And like we were standing right there and there was a microphone just like there is to me right now. And I said, "Uh, can I wake him up? And he said, sure. Uh, In like eight minutes, we're doing it. And so literally, like as everybody was kind of milling around, he's like, hey, did you want to do it? And he hit the little button, and I said, space station, like, good morning. It's time to, you know, and he gave me, like, the line to read. That's a one-of-one right there. So I got to say that I got to wake up the International Space Station for a day. That's a a one-of-one experience. That's so cool. I actually did not notice as I was watching the game, at no point did I notice that that was an astronaut at at mid I guess, to me, it looked like a, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a transformer, like cartoon character dunking the basketball. Yeah. Well, it, I, I agree with you. At first look, I wasn't sure. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. There's no like, there's no animal that represents, like I thought maybe there's a mascot I'd missed the last 10 years. Like there's no animal that's there. Well, there is. They do have a mascot, but it's not like directly tied to what their brand is about. And so I'm looking at it like, well, it can't be that. It's not like a Memphis Grizzly or Boomer at half court. And I'm like, oh, it's an astronaut. That's cool. Okay, Houston, we're, we're going into the full NASA space station, playing to the Rockets. So anyway... There's my random thought now, of the day. I, I really random thought also that. that I pointed out before. Do you know why they're called the Houston Rockets? Give it to me. Eddie, would you like to guess? I can't remember. You can't remember? I, I don't think I know other than if we're playing in the NASA and Michigan Control. I, I know you've that. explained it before, but I just can't remember I, why. I mean, the, you would think it's the Houston Rockets. It's because of NASA, Correct. right? That would I mean, be my it, thought. Uh, the Houston Rockets actually played their first year in San Diego, and the owner of the franchise was the owner of a company that made rocket heads in San Diego as part of the military base. 
what are the odds of that? I mean, literally, that would be like, you know what I mean? I mean, it it would be literally like a guy in Nashville in the car business owning a football team and calling it the automobiles and then moving it to Detroit. Right. Like, what are the odds Mm -hmm. of that? Astronomical. You think? Thank you. Do you think? <laughs> do you think Houston was his only option? Do you think he's like, listen, I, I if I don't get the proper funding for my franchise, I'm moving to Houston or Cape Canaveral. <laughs> Those are my two options, and I'm standing by no, it. Nowhere else you can go. I want, I want luxury suites, and I want revenue. I want forty percent of the revenue, or I'm gone. <laughs> well, where are you going to go? Uh, Cape Canaveral or Houston? We'll go to Houston then. What do they have there? They got a bunch of strip malls, and I'm going there. Okay, great, go. Good luck. It's the third largest city in the country now, but it's nothing but Keystone <laughs> at the Crossing times 50,000. For the Pacers now, they are on their way from that win. And again, a win that gets them, I guess, a little bit of defensive flexibility, if you want to, like confidence maybe. I mean, they said afterwards, right, that, that they are coming along defensively. It also makes me feel better to my theory of when they tried that against Memphis, or at least it looked like they tried that, we were talking about that, well, maybe they can't. They just need to play high pace, and if they go defensive strong instead of offensive-minded, you lose a step offensively. And I had brought up, well, could have been fatigue. It was a back-to-back, and then someone else had pointed out to me it was also like their fifth game in seven nights as well. So a lot of maybe fatigue aspects there. I get it. Everybody's dealing with that. But to be able to see it against Houston after a three-day break between that matchup against Orlando makes you think, no, they are capable of this. They just were really exhausted over that stretch of games they were playing. Uh, In Chicago, by the way, taking on the Bulls, that's going to be on Thursday, then back home to take on the New York Knickerbockers on December 30th, a little time off, and then in Milwaukee for New Year's Day. Uh, You know, that'd be kind of fun to go up, go up, spend New Year's Eve in Milwaukee, and then go to the Pacers-Bucks game on New Year's Day. What are your New Year's Eve plans, Jimmy? We're going to Topgolf. Okay. We've done that a time or two, and uh, we we reserved a bay there, so we're going to go go. Play top golf into what time the is your bay reserved? I think like nine thirty. You're gonna be swinging for two and a half hours. I know. Man, it's a lot of beer drinking, a lot of wings. It, it is. It's a lot, a lot of, a lot of beer, a lot of wings. A lot now, of, do you uh, stay until midnight though, or do you go home? We'll stay. Traditionally, we've stayed. Do they do a big deal at midnight? It's been a couple years since we've gone, but I believe they have like either fireworks or some type of like light show deal. Eddie Garrison, your New Year's Eve plans. Think I'm going over to my parents. They're having a party, inviting some people over. Are, are you gonna? When I was a kid, my parents for New Year's Eve, we would take hole punchers and sit there, and my sister and I, and and punch the hole puncher into a bowl to make confetti. And then when the adults, <laughs> when midnight came, we threw the confetti in there. Is that what you're gonna do? Uh, I may now that you bring that idea to my attention. So that may be something I have. Your to... parents are probably my age, right? Yeah. Okay, so and I'm impressed that they're having a party on New Year's Eve. Well, they just built this house and it's been they've been living in it now for a couple months, and they want to have people over and oh, they want housewarming gifts. No, 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 they haven't had the uh, they haven't had the housewarming party yet. They just want some people over to have fun, you know, hang out. They want housewarming gifts. No, this should serve as the housewarming New Year's party, right? Turn over a new leaf, new year, new house, new gifts, right? Your parents are smart, man. I think they're saving that for the summer when they fully get settled down and well, moved in. Well, they'd have in, two but, of them, right? Mm-hmm. One party you have and people bring by the firewood and another party you have and they bring the outdoor furniture. There you go. Your parents are dumb like a <laughs> fox, man. Uh, I'm going to be spending New Year's, po- potentially, potentially spending New Year's Eve with one of our guests today. Yeah, Jake, uh, what are you doing on New Year's Eve? Thank you for asking. 
I am going to be spending New Year's potentially with one of our guests from today. Would you like to guess which one? Um, Jeannie? Robin? <laughs> Robin won't leave, so that's entirely possible. Um, but no. One Bob Kravitz? Bob the, Kravitz. The translator? Or the Bob Elixir? Kravitz, if, when I went to, and I think I was doing this show when I went to see Bruce Springsteen at Wrigley Field uh, with with my friend Michael Weir and Bob Kravitz. And Michael is the lead singer of The Elect. They are playing at the Slippery Noodle on New Year's Eve. Uh, and so, as they have done many years, because they're the best local band that there is, and so we are going to the Slippery Noodle for New Year's Eve to watch Michael, and I had told Bob when we went to Bruce Springsteen, you got to come on New Year's Eve to see Michael's band, because Michael was in the car with us. So I'm still trying to coerce Bob into that. So the majority of our conversation with Bob Kravitz today is not going to be about the Colts' playoff chances or the Pacers defensively. It's going to be about trying to get him to the Slippery Noodle on New Year's Eve, right? That's that's what I'm. That's my goal for today, to get Bob to commit. He's somewhat. He is loosely committed. You're looking for the clothes. I'm looking for the clothes. Yes, right. like kind of like, like Eddie's parents. They invite you over for New Year's Eve, but they're really looking for a housewarming gift, right? They're looking to close <laughs> on getting the few items left that they haven't necessarily secured for their house. They know what they're doing. I, I do also in terms of my New Year's Day docket. I want to give a shout out and a special thank you. Uh, to Jamie Burns, the Pacers, the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, I will be on the call Indiana Mad with Ants, Ron right? Howard with the Indiana Mad Ants now. I apologize. Yes, the Indiana Mad Ants will be on the call 10 a.m., a little New Year's Eve game oh, at Gamebridge. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking really? forward to that, to working with Kelsey Casper and Ron Howard and everybody. So a special thank you to Dan Vance, Matt Scott, Jamie Burns, the whole crew. Okay, there. so this will be, so the Indiana Mad Ants, right? Yes. It is the Indiana Mad Ants, It is right? the Indiana Mad Ants, yes, correct. Um, do we know who they're playing yet? We do. I mean, do you know? They're playing the Birmingham Squadron, and it'll be a... They're playing them twice, so they'll play them the night before. Oh, that's Wednesday, Dino Night. Friday night, and then Sunday. That's Dino Night, isn't it? I believe so. Okay, the... You will be on the call, and people will hear and or see it where? I believe it's NBAGleague.com, and they have a local airing of it for those that are in Birmingham. <laughs> so if our company extends out that far, uh, by 68 in Birmingham, you can get it over there, but... Uh, gleague.com you get the broadcast the Birmingham squadron do you know their best player Birmingham's best player I'm looking at it right now I'm just pulling it up no I don't I'm looking to see if there's um, okay remember EJ uh, Liddell from Ohio State yes but I don't think he's on the active roster currently right now has he been called up yes he has been called up I know that from prep oh how about this Glenn Robinson's son yes now now you're popping names back into my head because I have the boards but yes, this is exciting too. Matt Ryan, Matt Ryan, yeah, right, exactly. You're making all the jokes I can, that I made. I can last tell night. you right now who Birmingham's leadover in turnovers is, <laughs> or leader in turnovers is. It's Matt Ryan, right? You're making all the same jokes that I made yesterday. Former Pacer Joe Young, is he really? If it's the same one, let's double check. I'm surprised he's still in the league, though. He's got to be. Yep, that is Joe Young. Wow, how old is he? He was born in 92, so he is 31. But I'm looking at their roster right now, and I don't see him listed. Is he, I mean, that's not to say he's not, is he a two-way maybe? I doubt it. I mean, he's played in all 14 of their games. Oh, hold on. Uh Uh-oh. Did he get punked by? So, I went to the G League website, and he goes to the 2021 stats, not the 2023. Well, that goes back to Jake's larger issue with NBA stat access. Now, the Birmingham squadron, not to put you on the spot here, but I'm going to. Sure, go ahead. Um, 
Oh, here we go. They're the affiliate of the Pelicans, correct? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's cool, man. That's yeah. very cool that you get to do that. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a fun time. I mean, that is... Um, and you know, I, I, I think, and I want to make... You know, I, I think that people forget about the fact, Jimmy, that with the Mad Ants now playing here locally, I mean, it's a pretty good option. I, I can't imagine their tickets are outrageously expensive. Younger kids don't care either way. They just want to see high-level basketball. So it's pretty cool to have the team here and then eventually going to be up in Fishers where people can go watch them play. That is the whole model that the NBA has shifted towards over the last five years. I had heard rumblings, because you obviously have the meetings out at Summer League and stuff like that. I would heard rumblings that the Pacers are going to try to move the team for this is going on five, six years now because a lot of other teams are either relocating or for some teams for the first time adopting an own independent G League team. When it was the developmental league for a long time, you have like 12 teams that would be shared by like five different franchises. And now the goal is for everybody to have a team that's relatively close to where the actual home NBA team is. And yeah, from a cost standpoint and from an efficiency standpoint, even right now when it's at Gamebridge, but especially when they're up in Noblesville next year, it, it's it's great. It's a like, good opportunity to stay kid, connected with I the fan base. Absolutely. I'm not saying now, but I mean, in particular, when I was a kid, right? That would have been the thrill of a lifetime for me to go yes. and see guys and probably get an autograph. And maybe I don't know if kids still do this, but when I was a young person going to games at Market Square, when the old ramp on the far east side of the arena for the visiting team, I would stand out there for, I mean, I want to say hours. It was probably 45 minutes. I would stand and wait for shoes like there was no tomorrow, man. Really? Oh, uh, guys would always give out their shoes. I still have my buddy Dave Steinberg and I got a pair of Gerald Wilkins shoes and we split it. He signed both shoes and handed them to us and we split it. I took the right, Dave took the left. I still have the shoe. I'm guessing Dave does not have his. Um, I was going to ask because that survived the purge then. Like that's, that's an did. item that survived your cutdown a couple did, years ago. As did Roy Henson's size 15 shoes. I have I have those somewhere. Um, the other pair of shoes that I have, when the Pacers and Celtics were playing in the NBA playoffs, I was covering it in 05, 06, Reggie's last year. And I was late to shoot around, and Steven Jackson called me out on it, said, why are you late? And being a smart aleck, I said, oh, I was out looking for a pair of Steven Jackson's signature shoes at the mall, and I couldn't find them anywhere, and that's why I'm late. <laughs> he laughed, and the next day, a ball boy came up and goes, here, Jack wanted me to give these two, and I opened it up, and it was a pair of Steven Jackson's signature <laughs> shoes. So I still have those as well. Uh, those are the only shoes in my collection. The Colts, by the way, are back in action, getting set for the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll touch on that a little bit on the other side. Jimmy, I let off the show by asking on a scale of 1 to 10 your level of concern for your beloved Kansas City Chiefs, but we'll keep it local here by asking you this about the Colts. On a 1 to 10 scale, 10 being the most, 1 being not at all, your level of concern, I, I will say is the wrong word, um, the level of which you have to be, you have to take seriously the, the Las Vegas Raiders now is what? I mean, obviously coming off of what Two. what did the Raiders do Two. against Kansas City? They they largely what Las Vegas was able to do is Chiefs had some backup offensive linemen in and the receiving room is what it is. They got after Mahomes early to the point that he already had trust issues with everybody else, that he was in a panic frenzy, not trusting receivers. They, Jake, Aiden O'Connell did not complete a pass for three quarters. They didn't score 
an offense like the the reason that the Raiders were able to do what they did defensively and win that game is because Mahomes threw one of the worst passes that I've ever seen him throw on the pick six. And they got cute when they started to have momentum and led to a scoop and score fumble. Both those things happened within 30 seconds of one another. Is Mahomes, and look, he's a Hall of Fame level player. Don't get sure. me wrong. But is Mahomes having difficulty adjusting to not having the weapons for which he was so accustomed? And as a result of that, is he falling victim to trying to make plays that he got away with forever that are no longer there? And thus, it is making things like the Raiders' defense look better than it is coming into Indianapolis. No, I, I don't. I don't think it's that so much as we are at week well going into seventeen now, as an NFL pundits fan base, whatever you want to call it, and there, there just there's no trust there. There's no trust within that wide receiver room. There's times where. Two or three times, and I get it, this is Indianapolis, no one cares about this, but for example, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is like wide open over the middle of the field, but Mahomes has made a clear decision, he's not going to look there because there's a lack of trust. That's just like a one-off. Right. Like, I, I think, yes, he is pressing to some extent because he feels like that he has to, but they, they won the Super Bowl last year with largely the same roster. The problem is they went cheap at wide out this year. They gambled. They made a couple bets, a couple long shot bets that did not pan out, didn't work. And again, they're still good enough and he's still good enough to where, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see them there at the end on Super Bowl Sunday, but their margin for error is shrunk to such a point that they cannot make mistakes. They cannot turn the ball over. In regards to the Raiders, they're a fine team. I think Antonio Pierce has earned that job. I think he should be their full-time head coach. Max Crosby is an absolute animal. Everybody knows this. Like He's one of the best defensive ends in all of the NFL. That said, offensively, Aiden O'Connell should not be the one to beat you. Watch out for Devontae Adams. Everything else, you're good. And, and they have the ability to get after the quarterback a little bit, do the Raiders. But uh, yesterday, Shane Steichen, Colts back on the practice field today. Of course, Julian Blackman yesterday placed on IR. We told you about that. Shane Steichen then talked about... The team that's coming in, talking about the Raiders of Los Angeles. It'll be big. Obviously, they've been uh, playing really good football uh, as of late. Um, defensively, they play hard. Uh, they play together. Obviously, Max Crosby is a huge uh, threat on defense, so yeah. we got to be alert for him where he's at. Uh, and then offensively, you know, they got Devontae Adams, who's a heck of a player, and they're playing good football. So we got to be ready to go uh, and be in our A game. Dustin Dopirak, I got it right, didn't I? How about that? Circle gets the square. Uh, more on the Colts coming up in just a little bit. Dustin Dopirak is next. Dustin Dopirak is the beat writer for the Indiana Pacers for the Indianapolis Star. He's also kind enough to join us on the program. And Dustin, thanks for the time. I'll get right to this. I was mentioning earlier. Um, I don't know that I necessarily, like, in the moment caught it. But then as I was watching last night against Houston, about you know a couple of minutes after watching a lineup on the floor, I said to myself, they actually do have the capability, do the Pacers, of putting a defensive lineup on the floor. Problem is, that compromises a little bit of their true brand, which is their offensive efficiency. But um, seems as though they're in the period of the year here where they're like, you know what, we're going to focus on the defensive end and then try to balance everything back out. Tell me what changes... Rick Carlisle, who had talked about the possibility of changes being made, tell me what he's actually doing that is causing them to suddenly not give up like 190 points a night. I mean, it's a few things. I mean, I think um, 
obviously last night they decided to go bigger, um, and so they had bigger lineups out there more frequently. Even though Jalen Smith and Miles Turner didn't get to play together very much, just because they had they were both in foul trouble. But obviously Isaiah Jackson, I thought, came in and did a, a really good job uh, in his almost 20 minutes uh, of filling in for those guys uh, and giving them some opportunity to, to, to not commit fouls. Um, so I, I mean, obviously that's one thing is just being more frequently deciding that you're going to have two of those bigs out there. Um, it's not an all the time thing. Certainly, you know, you're, you're dealing uh, – the, the biggest problem that they've had is certainly def- defending those just really big and talented power forwards. LeBron James is the honest Antetokounmpo's, uh, Paolo Banqueros, Carl Anthony Townsend is the world that are really big guys but also immensely skilled. Uh, and they've had a hard time stopping those guys. Aaron Neesmith has been the one guy who's been willing to kind of step in front of the moving trains. But that doesn't necessarily keep them from scoring. It just means he just gets knocked on his butt a lot. Uh, and he's, you know, defending with all manner of ferocity and whatnot. But you're 6'6", 215, and going against guys that are 250, 260, you know, when you collide, you're going to go fall backwards. Um, so I think, you know, it gives them a little bit more capacity to deal with at least the physical blows um, and maybe rebound a little bit better, that kind of thing. You don't necessarily have an answer for them because you can, those guys can still go around them. Um, but I think that helps them. And I think there's obviously been it, – it, it's helped, obviously, the last couple games they've played teams that aren't – great offensive teams that aren't lights out offensive teams that don't have, you know, superstars at that position. Um, and, you know, Memphis is a team that grinds you out. Orlando is a team that grinds you out. You know, Houston is still young and figuring itself out. Um, so that has helped. I think Andrew Nemhart's co- coming back has been really important. Uh, that's been really helpful. Even as you lost Bruce Brown, I think you've seen that Nemhart's a really, you know, is, is a really solid defender, keeps guys from getting moving, um, you know, all that much at all. So I think that's that's been helpful. The, the, the bigger size, you know, again, getting Nemhart back, uh, I think it's been good having him in the starting lineup and have certain questions to ask uh, when Bruce Brown gets back healthy. Um, so I think those are kind of the, the, the key things uh, that have really stood out. I think they've done a good job in second halves um, of sort of you know waking up after they've given up a bunch has been you know pretty useful. So I think that's made some difference. I mean, you're still in a position where you're giving up 115 a night and you're calling it a good day, um, and that's not necessarily that doesn't make you a great defense. But they can um, you know there has been some improvement. They can they can put together a decent defensive lineup. I think out of this group, it's just not it's not. It's not going to be a great one, but if, if you just get it out there for a little while and it's good enough to hang so that when you put out more offensive lineups, they can put a gap in it. You know, speaking of collisions for Aaron Neesmith, he had kind of an ugly one last night with his teammate, a little friendly fire with mm. Jalen Smith, and I thought Jalen Smith was a little cobwebbed. He got up and shook it off. Uh, I, mm. I don't think this is the case, Dustin, but I'll ask, was there any fallout from that like in terms of today or after the game where they determined that maybe – uh, Smith in particular was more shaken up than was indicated. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I wasn't on this trip, so I would have asked uh, Ricardo about that if I was in Houston, but I didn't. But I wasn't. So I think I definitely I, I had the same question. So, but I, I haven't seen anything yet to suggest uh, that he's back in the protocol or anything like that. Um, you know, it, it, certainly he was back on the bench shortly, and you would have thought if he was in the protocol, they would have kept him out um, for a while longer. I'm trying to think of. I, I, I you know, I think. When was it Miami? He went to the hospital um, after he got dinged up, and they didn't, you know, put him in the protocol for any longer than that. Um, so, you know, I, it's possible that uh, it's a similar situation where he got his bell rung a little bit, but not enough to put him in the protocol. Um, so, it's certainly, I think, one one to check out. I mean, obviously, when the report comes out uh, for tomorrow uh, later today uh, to see if he's on that list, but I haven't seen anything yet that suggests that he will be. Pacers beat writer for the Indy Star, Dustin DePirac, joins us. Dustin, we talked about this earlier, and Jake had mentioned it in that first question to you, that their ability to take away maybe what they're doing full speed offensively to lock in a little bit more defensively was more present in a successful manner 
last night against Houston than it was, say, five nights prior when they're in Memphis, when they kind of tried the same thing and it looked like, no, they have to go full speed. They cannot try to be a full-level defensive team. They don't have the firepower to do it. How much of that in hindsight now is because of, well, that was actually their fifth game in like seven days and fatigue matters, especially in this league, if you want to play good defense? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of, and, and also, first off, that definitely mattered. I mean, there's there's no doubt that the, I think the, the entire cumulative effect, I mean, they kept getting asked about Las Vegas and they sort of sidestepped that to say, well, you know, we don't want to think about that and, and only be thinking about that. But it's like, it's not, it wasn't, just it wasn't the fact that it was the end season tournament. It's you tacked on, you know, four or five days in Vegas onto a trip that was already, you know, four games in seven days on the road and, and crisscrossing uh, time zones and all that kind of thing. And I think that the total, um, you know, uh, the, the the total wear and tear, and then you come back and we've got the Clippers, you know, right right away as soon as you come back for a home game, and then you, you get Charlotte's ease back into it. But that's part of a back to back. You know, when you go out to Memphis and Memphis has Ja back, and you know, on top of that, like there's there's a matchup piece to this as well. I mean, like they had a hard time getting running against Memphis because Memphis is really, really good at defending the interior. You got guys like Jaron Jackson and Xavier Tillman um, that that make your life really hard uh, in the middle. So they weren't getting a lot of points in the paint, and they were having to shoot a ton of threes uh, to try to make up for that. And, and again, they did have some kind of they were a little, were a little bit dead legs, so those shots weren't going in. Um, so it was a cumulative effect, a lot of things plus matchup. Plus, you go from again, you go from Orlando to or from Memphis to Orlando, and those are two of the you know toughest, biggest, longest teams. Uh, that you can deal with. So Houston is, a, in, in a way, sort of a breather, even though that's still a really good team um, at this point. Uh, so I think that there was a combination of those two things. And it's like, what do you have to do? How, how fast do you have to play to get what you need? Um, you know, you, you can play a little bit slower uh, against a team that you can still skills they'll score, get to the paint in the half court, um, where it's really tough to do that. When Memphis' defense is set, it's really tough to get into the teeth of that defense and score. Any Anytime they try to drive the basketball against them, they had a hard time getting buckets. It was a little bit easier uh, last night for them to get that done, I think, what they end up with. And they obviously made some shots. That helped them. They only had 44 in the paint. Um, but 19 threes, you know, goes goes a long, long way. Um, you know, it allows you to set your defense, um, you know, all those kinds of things. So that there, there were a lot of, you know, factors working in their favor uh, last night that weren't working in their favor against Memphis and Orlando. Dustin, we know Tyrese Halliburton is a special player. He's shown that in kind of this coming out party season over the stretch of just half the, not even half the year, basically just past the Christmas Day games. That stretch in Vegas, it became an expectation of, well, he's not going to turn the basketball over. Like, it, it is a bad mm-hmm. night for him if he has even one turnover listed on the box score. I feel like now, when you look at his entire career and you look at what's happened the last three or four games, the number is probably three, maybe four, mm-hmm. but more than that, that, then you should be panicky. Oh, that's a bad night for Tyrese. Do you see it that same way? Is that a fair bar for him in terms of where they should see a good night versus a bad night taking care of the basketball? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, I think when you're handling the ball that much and you're making that many passes, you know, three is probably okay. You know, you, you're going to miss fire sometimes. Um, you know, that's that's probably a fair number. Now, he's not okay with that. I mean, I think, uh, right. you know, he was in the midst of talking kind of through his, um, you know, just with Saturday night against Orlando. He's like, man, I've really been hurting us lately. I've been terrible. He's looking, he's like, my my turnover numbers are terrible lately. And it was a 4-4, you know, like I, I think he had three against Orlando, four against Memphis. I'm looking at his basketball reference page. I don't know this off by heart. But, um, you know, four against Memphis, four against Charlotte, four against the Clippers. He had seven against the Pistons uh, in that win. So, I mean, I, I think that's, he feels like that's a little bit high for him. I think he, he'll live with two. Um, 
Bubba certainly likes to stack nights when he's getting zeros. Uh, you know, I mean, I think he obviously had, um, uh, you know, zero against Boston, one against Milwaukee. He's had so many other great games where it was one or zero. I mean, I think he's, I'm looking at the stretch here. Yeah, he had, he had zero against Boston, zero against Milwaukee. So those back-to-back games, no turnovers, you know, two against Miami and, and when he had 44 even in the loss. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, it, you know, it, it's reasonable to say, okay, three or four is, is where he should be if you're having the ball in the hand, your hand that much, you're passing the ball that much. You know, there's going to be a few misfires uh, over the course of a whole basketball game, but he thinks there should be fewer than that, and that's obviously why he's capable of every once in a while having a night where he has 15 assists and no turnovers. Dustin, is Jarris Walker – I know it's really early, don't get me wrong, but so far from what we've seen, is he a defensive tweener? And by that I mean – maybe I just misunderstood what kind of his role was going to be. Probably that's the case. But at 6'7", he he would lack the height probably to get overly physical on the low block with somebody. But he also seemingly, does he have the lateral quickness to guard and be a wing defender? Which sort of, he was touted defensively, which sort of defensive player is he? I think defensive, like when he puts all the tools together, he can be a guy that they can do both because he's got a lot of length to him. I'm, I got to look back at his, uh, um, what, what you call it? Uh, um, combine, uh, numbers as far as, um, wingspan is concerned. But as I recall correctly, his wingspan, you know, measured humongous. Um, I mean, it was, it was really big. Plus he's got, you know, a significant amount of bulk muscle, like all that kind of stuff. But like he can defend bigger than six, seven. I, I think that's one thing to, to point out. And I think so for the most part, if, if, if you imagine him, you know, fully put together and he knows what he's doing on defense, um, you can see the mound of clay looks like somebody that you could put up against some of these bigger fours. Like in, in theory, um, he, he really fits that mold. I think, uh, uh, Caitlin Cooper obviously does a phenomenal job with the X's and those stuff that she does. You know, it's to keep saying that like he he is a defender in theory as much as better than he is in reality uh, at this point. In reality, he's 20, and uh, you know, I think even when we talked to Kevin Pritchard on draft on not draft night lottery night, um, you know, we asked him, are, are you going to go for defense? Do you view it as you know this is your opportunity to get a guy who really fits that mold? And we were thinking of Walker when we were asking the question, um, and he was like, you know, you you can only ask so much of a rookie uh, as a defensive player because they're just going to figure out how the game's called, how it's referees, what's a foul, what's, a, what's not, how to, how to deal with some of these superstars. So, like, you can't def- draft a guy for defense, um, you know, and expect that as a rookie he's going to make an impact. Again, this is before he even had Walker. Um, we, he wasn't even mentioning names that night. He wouldn't even speak Victor Wenbanyama's name out loud, even though he wasn't able to draft him. Like, you know, that's kind of still how, how he was thinking already. Um, so I guess it should, we shouldn't be surprised that at this point, at 20, he's not quite there yet. Obviously, we talked a little bit to Rick Carlisle about him last week when he was down at G League and did a really good job at the showcase uh, in Orlando. And he was just talking about defense. And, and what Rick said, he's, he's got to he, he's got to make sure that he's being more steady, more disciplined than his instincts want him to. I asked, well, what, do you, what do you mean by that? He said, stop making willy-nilly gambles. And, and we talked to Walker about that. He says, yeah, he, you know, I, there was one play that I saw on Twitter basically that, like, you know, you, he sees the basketball and he has to reach for it. And it's like, okay, like that, you can't do that in the NBA. You know, you might have been able to get away with that at Houston. You might have been able to get away with that at IMG. You know, just with all the length you had to stick your hand in there. I mean, even like one of the first plays down at the Summer League, uh, he picked the ball Kalabali's pocket. I mean, that really stood out to me as what he could do. But he is gambling. And there was a scenario where he reached and the guy went right, you know, at the opening he created by reaching. And he went and scored a layup that way. And so I think that's kind of where he is. He, he, you need to figure out 
he needs to get his mind right as a defender and understand what he can and can't do and, you know, stop making the gambles that he used to make that used to turn into steals and now turn into layups against him uh, before you can really get a sense of, of what he can be defensively. Again, he's just, it's, it's one of those things where you got to remind yourself every once in a while, some of these guys that come in in their 20, you, you have this expectation because some guys have really been successful as rookies. You forget some of them take a couple years, you know, to get right and, and to, to you find out what they can really be as a defensive player. Uh, and it might take him some time, but I think, I think you saw a lot of good progress uh, from him. If you got to watch any of the G League showcase games, especially offensively, come a long way um so he's not that far off and it's not a situation where you look at him and say well okay this is just not going to be what he was picked to be but it's going to be a while before before he is what they envisioned dustin i'm not saying that the indianapolis star would be thrilled with your participation in a gambling <laughs> game around a team that you cover but we're gonna we're gonna do a hypothetical here okay mm-hmm. yeah you and i go out to las vegas together okay mm-hmm. now if we're gonna go out to vegas together Guys, trip. Where do you want to stay? First off, that's a big question. What, what what place would you want to stay? I'll, I'll pop. Where do you want to stay? <laughs> anywhere. Okay, just anywhere on the strip. I'm good with. Okay. I, I mean, I was at the Hilton Garden Inn. Last okay, time, so so, like, so we're I, gonna stay at. <laughs> you know, the Venetian's nice. Bellagio's nice, but I thought Paris was cool, and I stayed there. So we'll we'll stay at Paris. Okay. okay. All right. So I'm down in the that. lobby yeah. of Paris, we're gonna get some croissants, and there's a gambling game <laughs> taking place, and it is the <laughs> following. We're going to have mm-hmm. a draft, and mm-hmm. we are going to draft players that if that player is traded by the Pacers at the trade deadline, then you are going to get a free trip to return to Vegas, okay? So right. your goal here is that you want to have players that you're drafting on a little fantasy draft that, that mm-hmm. get moved. I, right. I draft first, and I draft Benedict Matherin. Now, when I draft him... Are you thinking to yourself, I am so happy he drafted him because that is such a dumb pick. There's no way they're going to trade Matherin. Jake is an idiot, and this gives me a perfect first-round pick to make. And if you think that, who is your first-round pick? I mean, I'm I'm the most safe of safe gamblers when I have ever gambled, uh, which is very rare. Um, but I, I mean, I would take Buddy just because that seems like the the obvious move. But I could easily see. Uh, like you take him and I'm like, you might be wrong, but you could be right. You know, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I think what we would say to this is, is this Benedict Matherin certainly is the most valuable piece they could conceivably move. Um, as far as who, who would do the best on the market, who would bring in uh, the biggest return, and therefore who could you package, you know, with, you know, who would be the centerpiece of a package that gets you an all-star caliber player? Um, you know, I think that that's the guy who gets you closest to that. If you want a Pascal Siakam or somebody at, at, at that level, you know, certainly we, we don't really have a sense of who's going to open up yet. Laurie Markkinen, you know, if, if you want Laurie Markkinen, you probably have to move Benedict Matherin. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for somebody who's going to be, a big, a big wing, a big power forward that can score and can defend at least a little, uh, but you know turns into that, you know number two guy with Halliburton. Sometimes your number one guy. Uh, you, you know, I, you, you're going to have a hard time getting him if you're not moving. Um, Matherin certainly makes it easier. I mean, could you package Shield together with draft picks and get it? Maybe, um, but I, I think that's going to be difficult. Um, you know, I mean, you're going to have to pair several first to get a player of that caliber so i i definitely i'm not saying jake's an idiot but i i am saying as as the indy star beat writer man that would be a really shake up if he's right okay you know, that that would be a big deal how about obi top though 
so you, you like in this case, you just got to get like he's just got to move. Um, I think you know that's certainly more possible. Um, I, I don't think they're going to rush out the door to get rid of him. They're not going to just try to uh, move him just to move him. They certainly like what he's done with Halliburton. Uh, they definitely don't view him as a useless piece. But certainly, I think he has you know increased his value. I think um, by what he's done. Obviously, still not a great defensive player, but um, as lob finisher, as just finisher at the rim, uh, he's been everything they could have hoped for and more. I mean, I think he's probably he's had a couple of rough nights, but if you know, I call him up right here. He's probably at like 75% of his twos or something crazy like that. Um, so I, I think, you know, they're certainly not going to view him as at least a bit untouchable. Um, they might move him for something else that they seem that, that more fits. It might be more defensive oriented when, um, but, you know, or, or again, like he might just fit as part of a greater package, but uh, he certainly could be on the move. It's certainly, he's certainly a safer bet to move the math is. Dustin, if the season ended today, and it feels like we're having that conversation with the Colts because they're on the doorstep, the Pacers still have so many more games left to go before we get to that point. But if it did, they'd be a play-in team. We're 30 games in nearly. How much more do you and the Pacers need to see before, to build off of Jake's question, we figure out if they're buyers, sellers, or just standing pat at the deadline, which is less than two months away? Yeah, I mean... You know, it's it's interesting. I mean, you look at the standings now. I mean, they're a game and a half back of Cleveland for seventh, two games back of the Knicks for sixth, two and a half back of the Heat uh, for fifth. I mean, all of this, everybody from uh, Orlando on down at four is pretty is pretty tightly packed. Uh, you know, you're starting to see the separation that you were expecting to see uh, from Boston and Milwaukee and, and to Philadelphia to some extent. Obviously, everybody's still close. Everybody's within eight games, and that's not an insurmountable amount uh, of space to make up. But I mean, I think you, you get the sense that Boston and Milwaukee are out in the front um, and, you know, everybody else is a little bit behind them. Philly's kind of in its own space, you know, on, on, on their own kind of chasing them. And then there's really the rest of the pack. I mean, I'd be, I, I'd have a hard time imagining that they're going to hit the seller's point. I have a hard time seeing the bottom falling out. So they're below Chicago. Um, I, I don't think they're going to, I think they view it as important to get this team in postseason one way or the other. Um, so I don't see them tanking. Uh, I, I guess that's that's the bottom line point. It, it has to be really bad. Um, you know, it, they have to be. I think forced to say that you, they're not even going to play for the play-in. Um, that, that that I think it's a, their their hand will have to be forced for them to be out of that. So if they're even within striking range of tenth uh, in February, I think they're going to be buyers. Um, so that that I have, a, you know, it really has to fall out of it for that for them to be for them to be sellers. I'm sorry. Um, but I, so I think they're going to be in, in at least by position, but you know their level of ability to take risks certainly is going to be governed by how high up they are. You know if they can move up a couple, if they can get on a winning streak, uh, you know here and, and get back into you know being sixth. I think certainly sixth is I think their main goal is to to get out of play in uh, out of a play in scenario. I think they just view that this team has to find a way to get into a seven game playoff series, and even if they go one and done there, even if they get you know, blitz three, you know, four, one, four, Oh, uh, they just have to get a sense of it. This, this young team has to figure out what it's like to be in playoffs and then go from there. So I think, uh, just as if they're holding steady at 500, uh, I think they're going to at least try to make a play to move up. Um, and they will buy more than they will sell. Um, even if they're still in that position, they'll certainly be more willing to take risks the higher up the ladder they are. Um, but you know, I, a lot has to go wrong for them to, a lot, to not at least try to buy at the deadline. I think staying at the Hilton Garden Inn is kind of a smart play, to be honest with you. Cause you know, it was smart until I figured out it was on the other side of the freeway. I had to take an Uber to the arena every day. 
and it was it was point three miles away. I was staring at it, but I couldn't get across. Like, yeah, I, that's I a bit of a buzzkill. But like, but here's yeah. the thing: if you're going to go to Vegas, like everybody gets so excited about where are you staying, where are you staying, and it's like how yeah. often? I mean, I mean, you're you're never any of those casinos, Dust, any of them. For people mm. that have never been to Las Vegas, you hear about like mm. I mean, oh, the Luxor, the Paris, the Bellagio, the Venetian, the the you know, and the Mirage. Mm. once you're in the depths of one of those casinos they're all the same yes right mm. and, and i guess yeah, if you're there in the dead of summer it's nice because mm. you have pool access but if you're going right now yeah. you, mm. you go and you walk up and down the strip or whatever else and then to be honest with you by the time you're like totally worn out it's kind of nice to get away from all that and just crash out for eight hours you know what i mean right. yeah the one thing that was so the last time I stayed in a casino was we went we did Treasure Island like it was my uh, buddy Brett's bachelor party and the one thing that was really nice about it it was like they had a they have a CVS in, Tre- in Treasure Island where you can buy beer at a normal price uh, six packs and whatnot so I'd like take a six pack up to like up to my room have a beer to walk around with not have to spend spend ten bucks a beer now do they still have the pirate ship up. battle at Treasure Island. I think they do. We didn't see that, but I'm sure they do. Yeah, I mean they have that out front and everything, so they they must. I mean, how how would you get rid of that? <laughs> so, but yeah, no, that's that. The, the, but the nice thing about Hilton Garden Inn was like you you come home at the end of the night and there's not a casino that you have to walk through. You just walk up, you go to bed, you wake totally. up in the morning, and it's not yeah. there. So that's that's peaceful, and so it's like you you get to separate from that and then go back to it if you want to. So there's there's good and bad about it, but it would have been a lot nicer if I realized that the point three mile distance was not. Point three miles is a freeway. Yeah, point three miles <laughs> in Vegas can be ten miles for sure, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Dustin, was... appreciate it, man. If we don't talk to you, have a very happy New Year. All right. Absolutely. Same to you guys. Thanks so much. All right. Again, Dustin uh, Doparak, Dopirak. Second one. Doparak. Nope, that was the first one. Dopirak. There it is. Are you sure about that? Yes. I don't know why it's. Eventually, I'll get this right. Dopirak. But then I always say, I know it's Dopir, but then I'm like, so is it do? Is it Dopirac or Dopirac? Those both sounded the same, that one that you just Dopirac said. or Dopirac? Oh, you're asking where to go up or go yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dopirac. So, actually, excuse me, he um he nailed it there because, so you've been to Vegas, right, Jimmy? I have. You've stayed where? Give me the, how many times have you been to Las Vegas? Four times. I've stayed at MGM Grand. I've stayed at the park. I've stayed at the Palm. Okay. Which is the Palm's. So you stayed at one of them twice, obviously. Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, Because let's be real. For most people, unless you go there a lot and you have like the loyalty to a casino that, that, you know, comps you, for most people, you're going to stay whichever place has like the best special or rates at the time you're booking it, right? Eddie, you have been to Las Vegas how many times? Twice. You stayed where? The Paris... And uh, New York, New York. Oh, uh, you decided to go two cities, huh? One more I forgot. Uh, on a work trip, we were at the Vidara. I believe that's how you say it. It's near the Cosmopolitan. Is that off site? Is that off the strip? It's it's on. Okay. So I've been the first time that I went to Vegas. I went by myself. I had an I had one of those like round trip airfare vouchers to use, and I had forgotten about it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this expires in like six weeks. I was in my early twenties. So I just went by myself. I had no money. I stayed at the, I think it's called Holiday and Boardwalk. Nice. Like at the end of the strip. Sure. But I was like, I'm, I just need a room, right? right? Yeah. I was by myself. It was fine. Um, I, I've stayed at the Rio. I've stayed at the Paris. I've stayed at 
there's a for IndyCar when we were there, and it was not a good trip in Vegas. Um, we stayed at a new resort that was off strip. I can't even remember the name, but it starts with an A. Um, I'm trying to think of where else I've stayed. At any rate, we are going in February. Uh, we are going to see. I can say this now. Oh, you that's guys know right. This. But we're going to go see you two at the Sphere. Was she excited? She was. Um, Shannon loves you yep. two. Uh, I, I don't. Oh, how sweet and, of her! Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's right. I know you love Shannon also, Eddie. So it yeah. works out well. Uh, she loves the band you two, and so when Rick Carlisle was on with KB and Andy a couple weeks ago, he had mentioned that when the Pacers were out there in Vegas, they went to go see you two in the Sphere, and so I was talking to somebody else within the organization and said yeah it was pretty amazing and then a, a buddy of mine billy lewis went and saw for like on a guy's trip and did the same thing and he's like dude it's it's unbelievable it was not easy to get tickets but anyway i i got tickets for us to go to you two in the sphere and then in looking at hotels it is the sphere is essentially attached to the venetian but the venetian that weekend I, there must be something going on at the venetian because it was like a thousand dollars a night for a room and i'm like come on it's across the street from Treasure Island, and Treasure Island had like a special that it was really affordable. The tickets for the the concert were not necessarily, so that's where we're staying at Treasure Island. So I'll give you guys a full update on the nothing like staying at a place that probably had its heyday like forty years ago. Well, according to Derek Schultz, we need to see your uh, W two from IndyCar because you make a lot of money <laughs> as a tournament announcer. Well, we're in we're in the off season, Eddie. We're in the off season, right? So. You know, I, I had to save those shuckles away in sure. order to be able to do it, right? That's true. Now, I, I don't have that uh, that coming in, but I'm trying to think of the name of the place we stayed. Is it Aria, maybe? It was a new, like, resort way off the strip when IndyCar was out in Vegas, but that's been 10 years ago. So, you know, the th- funny thing about Vegas is every time... That is a Vegas hotel, by the way. Aria is a place. Is it? Okay. Maybe that was what it was. But the funny thing about Vegas is every time you go... There's a new like, right? They're either building one or it's like that's the new one that just opened and like every you know it's all about what was the, there's a I'm trying to think of the one last time I was in Vegas they were just completing one that like that was going to be the new state of the art whatever else first time I went I, Bally's was a big one for a while there um, which I thought was a health club and then I think I took oh one time when we went Shannon and I went for a wedding I think I told you guys. And she actually was the one that was like, let's just stay off the strip and get out of the way. And we stayed at a place called Tuscany. And I'm telling you right now, if anybody's listening and they're thinking about going to Vegas to do like a show or something like that, and you want to basically save money for a hotel that is really nice, but just one block off the strip, but you're going to pay like a third for the hotel. Tuscany was basically like a courtyard. Like you have kind of like your own little kitchenette, whatever else. It was super nice, super clean. And took you two minutes to walk to the strip and then once you're on the strip you're right in the in the heart of things and and it was cool i enjoyed it um back to the colts we'll get into that including some comments from shane steichen talking about the raiders we'll get a little bit deeper into that because eddie was in here until four o'clock in the morning putting all of this audio together so i figure it would only be kind that we actually let people hear it because it's pretty good stuff we'll do it next speaking of vegas they are on their way here Opens the door for me to tell for the 10,000th time the story that I think should be a 30 for 30 someday about the game in which Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, 
Edrin James, Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis. Actually, I guess I'm trying to think of all those guys were here. Reggie Wayne might not have been in this game, but in, in Freeney may not have well as well. But certainly Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, Edron James. Um, when the Colts had a game against the Raiders at home and afterwards talked to basically no media, none, zero, because the Colts and Raiders had a game at the then RCA Dome, and about midway through it, the word leaked from everybody and their brother that, in fact, Bob Knight was about to be fired. So all of the media that was covering that game got pulled from it and headed over to the IEPY campus to a hotel there where there was a press conference taking place, and literally it was like John Clayton and like these NFL writers that were all like, I don't know, they just pulled me and sent me over here. And meanwhile, the game was ending. I think the Raiders actually won, and no one was there because the story was the Bob Knight story. Uh, But big topic of conversation is obviously going to be, from the Colts' standpoint, I I think defensively coming off the Atlanta game in particular. You know, it is interesting that when the Colts defense plays well, people are like, man, this you know, these these guys are making plays. Dio's making plays and Quiddy Pay's finally arrived and Zaire Franklin is Zaire Franklin. And then when they have games where they struggle, it's all on Gus Bradley. Gus Bradley's an idiot. Fire Gus Bradley. They gotta get rid of Gus Bradley. It's never the players, right? But it is true that there have been games where they their pass rush, which Chris Ballard has preached a lot. There have been games where that has been a, a real key part of what they've tried to do. And then there have been games where you're like, what happened to the pass rush? Where are these guys? You know, is that scheme or what is it? Um, Gus Bradley was asked on Colts Roundtable and to discuss the fact that some games the pass rush is feast, some games the pass rush is famine. Looking back at the last couple of games or when we didn't play well, you know, the backs have come alive against us. You know, um, Cincinnati, it was the screen game. You know, um, this past game, you know, Robinson did a good job. Both backs did a good job with against us. We gave up some explosive plays, whether it was, you know, them catching balls and, you know, on passes, uh, screen game or, you know, on some of the runs. So I think that's the common thread right now that we have to take care of is slowing down these running back type plays that uh, are getting yards against us. Now, Key for that, and Jimmy, you watched the Raiders a lot, obviously, against the Kansas City Chiefs. And Aiden O'Connell is not a guy that necessarily terrifies you. There's no doubt about that because he's still kind of feeling his way through, if you will. But when you're talking about teams that, as Gus Bradley was mentioning right there, try to to, to gas you and keep you uncomfortable in terms of having to to not necessarily gamble with the rush because they can hit you with screens, they can hit you out of the backfield. You know, the reality is I realize that the Chiefs made White look like a really good running back, six and a half yards per carry. But without Jacobs there, it doesn't seem like necessarily, although maybe they do rely a little bit on their backfield and those screen passes because of the fact that O'Connell – you know, they're still trying to, to keep him comfortable there. So 
maybe it's a little bit of a catch-22. You want to rattle O'Connell, but at the same time, you got to be honest because he's reliant on, and they're going to utilize a lot, those guys out of the backfield, whether or not you consider them to be mainline threats coming out of the backfield behind him. Yeah, I mean, it hadn't been a reoccurring appearance this year for Kansas City to just get gashed by opposing running backs. I mean, that that's still an area that's probably their weak point in terms of they're a high-quality pass defense team, but that's not something that I would have expected necessarily from Zamir White. Again, as you mentioned, six yards of carry, nearly seven yards of carry throughout that ball game. I don't want this to sound oversimplistic, but it's going to. Offensively speaking, there is one read that Aiden O'Connell is going to make if he knows pressure is there. And that is, where is Devontae Adams? And is it man-to-man look? Throw the ball up there and give him a chance. If you are able to take Adams out of this game, which Kansas City did, albeit, again, the Raiders didn't have to throw a ton, but O'Connell went 9 of 21, and they largely relied on the running game because they are not a good offensive team. If you watch out for Devontae Adams, you're going to be fine from a defensive standpoint. Offensively speaking, and I will give the Raiders credit, and this is why, again, if I am the Davis family, and I am looking at this, I I would want to give Antonio Pierce a shot to be the full-time guy. Defensively, Max Crosby and Malcolm Kuntz, they they are phenomenal. They are a two-headed monster as you have both of them on the Either side of the ball getting pressure. Everybody knows about Crosby, but the last two games, Koontz has been sensational to the point that they're able to do stunts. They're able to confuse offensive linemen to the point that it's one, two, oh, there's a guy in the backfield now. What do I do with this football? That is the bigger thing for me. And not to say the Colts don't have big struggles defensively because we know that they do. The loss of Michael Pittman Jr. this past week was a prime example of one too many weapons in an offense that already lacks playmakers, and we knew that from the start of the season, it's a bridge too far. Like, I I don't know offensively if the Colts are going to be able to get done what they want to get done the rest of this stretch, which is the final two games, to avoid disappointment yet again and missing the playoffs without Michael Pittman Jr. I really don't. You know, the other side of it for the Colts would be, in terms of their own running game and things out of the backfield, for... Gardner Minshew, who Gardner Minshew, when he has played well, has been really good. Gardner Minshew at other times obviously leaves you a little to be desired. But Shane Steichen knows now that he's got kind of a luxury of riches in the backfield perhaps because Jonathan Taylor is back in the mix. And then you have on top of that, of course, the fact that the guys that have played behind him have played well. So Shane Steichen on what he now thinks about a backfield that gives him versatility in terms of his options. Yeah, we had we, we you know obviously good, Goody and uh, and Trey did a good job the week before, and then getting uh, you know uh, Jonathan back was good. Um, but yeah, you know it was just kind of like obviously it was tough sledding for us running the football there, um, and so we were rotating those guys in. But again, like you know how it is, uh, if we if someone's got a hot hand, we'll ride that hot hand. And uh, obviously it wasn't going our way uh, mm-hmm. last Sunday, and uh, this way this week we got to get back on track. Game script dictates a lot of that. I would agree with that. And just kind of getting to – one thing I'll say about Steichen. You know, there are always – when I was a kid, I've always mentioned the fact I was a diehard IU basketball fan. And in 1989, which was a great season for IU basketball, it was the Jay Edwards miracle year. Indiana won the Big Ten. They swept Michigan. 
my dad won season tickets by having his business card pulled out of a fishbowl at the Noble Romans at 71st and Benford. <laughs> Unbelievable, right? <laughs> so I went to every game. And during the course of games at Assembly Hall, there were so many times that I would sit up there. You know, I was 16 years old, so like I'm at the peak of sports fandom. Our, our seats were like 17 rows up. And I'd be sitting there with my dad watching the game, and I'd be a nervous Nelly because Indiana's down four with seven minutes to go to Michigan State or Michigan or whatever it might be. And I would look down at Bob Knight on the sidelines and say what you want about Bob Knight, but I'd look down at Bob Knight, and I had this great feeling of peace because I'm like, he's going to be able to pull something out of a hat here. And he is thinking a step ahead of everybody else. He's seeing the game differently. Now, now some of that might have been just branding that I thought that, but but it's the reality of the way that I thought as a fan. Shane Steichen is a young head coach, and nobody by any stretch of the imagination is ready to immediately appoint him as the next Vince Lombardi. But he does have about him that same demeanor where you kind of get the feeling that he is seeing the game in a different way than we the fan. And that he is kind of step uh, a step ahead. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that he has the acumen of a Hall of Fame level coach at this point, but he does have Jimmy kind of this demeanor about himself, where he seems the moment does not seem too big for him. And as a player, I would think that that is very soothing and calming. That when things get tense, you look down and you got this coach that's like kind of even keel, kind of a cool customer. And just a football nerd, quite frankly, that is just doesn't really care about anything else but then just watching the game and calling the game and you know, and are we seeing are we seeing to some extent the impact that he has as a coach in the way Philadelphia is playing right now? Maybe. But you're also, you know, it's going to be easy as well if the Colts lose their last two games to then go, oh, you know, the rookie coach, he didn't know what to do down the home stretch. I mean, it's a, you know, it's it's obviously an important time, but I do like his demeanor. I do like his approach. I do like his control of the situation. If you're a Colts fan, I think you've got to find some some kind of soothe in that. But Shane Steichen is well aware of the fact that this is a critical, obviously stretch for the Colts where they put themselves in position. Kudos to them. They, they've they shot themselves in the foot a few times to put themselves in position to have these two games be oh so critical and nothing guaranteed. But the other side of that is if you are an optimist, you look at it and go, at the beginning of the year, whoever would have thought heading into New Year's Eve in the final two weeks of the year that the Colts were in position to put themselves in position. And Shane Steichen is well aware of what's on the line and the way they've got to play in these last two games. I think offensively, you know, we got to we got to have, you know, good drives, obviously starting on first and 10 and not putting ourselves in second and long situations, third and long situations. And we got to create explosive plays. You know, usually we've done a good job of creating some explosives. We didn't get that done last week. Uh, and then, you know, defensively, we got to, you know, we got to tackle better um, there and not give up the explosives, bottom line, and stop the run. And I feel confident uh, that we'll get that done this week ignore the fact that the potential franchise qb or the quarterback they believe to face the franchise has missed basically the whole year which we knew that right that's not a new piece of information but you've known that that's why the conversation when the colts were winning is oh maybe shane steichen like deserves some coach of the year considerations like look at what he's been able to do if you were ever in that boat and i was when you critique the 2023 indianapolis colts and yes, you need to let these final two games play out. 
the blame should not be placed on Shane Steichen. Two things in my mind of where you blame and one you can't because it's just bad luck. Injuries and then what he was given to work with as a coach. And yes, we're talking about Chris Ballard in that regard. When Michael Pittman Jr. went down, and that's my point to just one offensive weapon taking away too much for regardless how good a coach you are, it's going to be tough sledding. These are players that caught passes for the Colts this past weekend. Colin Granson, Will Mallory, Josh Downs, Alec Pierce, Tyler Goodson, DJ Montgomery. Of those names, one, maybe two, are players that I would like to have significant roles for the Colts next year. That's where you're at at this stretch we're, we're when you take we're Michael Pittman Jr. on one of them. Give me the names again. I'm going to write them down because there's okay. one of them. I, I want. I'm going to predict who your your guy. But you go ahead. Give me those names again. Kylan Granson. Okay. Will Mallory. Okay. Josh Downs. Okay. Alec Pierce. Okay. Tyler Goodson. Okay. DJ Montgomery. Okay. There are, and you said only two of those guys. Oh, you like. Only two would I feel like, yes, 100%, I want you on the roster next year. Okay. We're going to disagree on one There's of them. There's four and I think, for me. I think Eddie and I are on the same page on one. Okay. You're, guy, you're at four, though? Josh, Downs and, Josh Downs and Alec Pierce are a given, right? Yes. Yes. Let me tell you the guy that I think. You play fantasy football? I do. You ever draft a guy in fantasy football? that you read about in some magazine at Kroger during the checkout line, and it said, here's your secret weapon. This guy's going to really mesh well with his quarterback. You're taking me back to middle school with the so, checkout line magazine. So you draft oh him, right? They still have magazines at Barnes & Noble, by the way, at checkout. Or, or, fantasy football. Sorry, you're reading it online, whatever. You get my point. Yes. And so you draft some receiver from – the Arizona Cardinals, and everybody's like, why did you draft that guy? And yet you keep him on your roster the whole time because you're waiting for the time when all of a sudden, in fact, he starts to bond with Kyler Murray and everybody goes, oh my gosh, Jimmy was a genius when he took that guy in the ninth round. Yep. Okay? Okay. One of those guys you mentioned is that guy for the Colts. There is a player for the Colts that they drafted because they were intrigued by his skill set. They've kind of waited and sl- allowed him to slowly acclimate into the offense. And when his number has been called, he has shown them something that is a different wrinkle than the other players in his position room. And he might be, when they had Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener, Fleener was basically seen as a tight end that was a receiver and Allen was seen as a tight end that was a blocker that could make you a short catch. They are going to need a tight end that is a blocker. I think at this point with Jelani Woods has been hurt all year because apparently he was a little bit out of shape, or at least that's the word. I'm not saying definitively that's the case, but that's been kind of the buzz. Mo Cox, I, at this point, I mean, I think we know what Mo Cox is. Kylan Granson and Drew Ogletree both kind of got their their chances to really show if they could be breakout guys. The player in that mix that I think they are slowly starting to acclimate more because they feel he is a tight end that can be, I'm not saying Dallas Clark level, but a yard after catch extend plays tight end Mm -hmm. is Will Mallory. And I think Will Mallory is increasingly 
becoming a guy that they are looking more towards in terms of his future stock to see what they can do out of him. And I like what he has shown. I don't hate that. I, I don't. I, li- I like Mallory. And, and there would be a time where if you asked me and put Truster a minute of the two and you made me only pick two, it's Josh Downs and either Mallory or Pierce. Uh, Mallory on is the one tight end that when he has been called upon has shown you a little more than what you expected out of him. And you go, ooh, there might be something here. Everybody else you go, yeah, that's about what I thought. The, the right? larger point with that is, though, and focusing more on the wide receivers and the tight ends, not that they are important because it'd be nice to have a clear tight end number one or majority of the snap tight end in 2024. My larger point is this is not the receiving room, even if you keep Michael Pittman Jr., that needs to be around Anthony Richardson in, in 24 is my larger point. See, I would disagree because I think Alec Pierce fits right into what you want to do with Anthony Richardson. I like, would agree with that long ball threat yeah, on the defense. You, and plus, like it's it's going to be a 50-50. You're going to get a catch 50% of the time. You're going to get a drop. And, of course, there's the always added in defensive pass interference call that's going to get mixed in there as well. If it's he's Mike, really if, good at that. If it's Michael Pittman Jr., Josh Downs, and Alec Pierce are your three wide receivers, I don't care how good Anthony Richardson is, you're capped at what you can do. Somebody else needs to be in here offensively for this team. It Bob needs to Kravitz, be an overcorrection. by the way, going to join us in 10. Is this... I never liked this song. The People love the video. I think this is probably the biggest one-hit wonder of the 80s, is it not? Putting on the Ritz by Tacos up there. Um, I realize I'm asking the wrong audience here. Yeah, you're speaking to the... I mean, I know this song. I don't take on me, but you are speaking to the masses. There are a lot of... There, there are some songs that people are like, oh, man, that's a great one-hit wonder, and it's like, well, they actually had a couple other hits. Like, Flock of Seagulls had two hits, maybe three. Everybody thinks of I Ran So Far Away, but um, Space Age Love Song was also a huge hit, or, or at least a moderate hit. It was Eddie's ringtone for a while. <laughs> Probably was, right? I think Modern English with Melt With You was pretty big, and I think that's a better song. When I went and saw Modern English, I don't know, a couple months ago at, I think I mentioned it, they knew yep. going into it, like he said right off the top, yeah, we know everybody's here for one song. It's like, which you got to respect, right? Yes. Um, I still think that the troll move is to say, we're not playing it, and then everybody's like, oh, and then play right, it at the end, right. everybody's yeah, like, oh, did hey, they did it, that's great. Uh, Michael Weir, who's my buddy from the elect, went and saw... Bruce Springsteen with Bob Kravitz at Wrigley Field. Bob's going to join us next. Michael has promised me that if Bob comes to the Slippery Noodle for New Year's Eve, that they will do Bruce Springsteen covers. Now, I don't know that I'm going to be able to coerce Kravitz out of his house on New Year's Eve. But, I mean, think about it. New Year's Eve, Slippery Noodle, the elect indie. I mean, what what more is there, right? There was nothing better than a couple of years ago when I was when Clemson was in the national semifinals and they beat... Um, I'm trying to think of who they beat. Oh, would it have been Oklahoma or no Ohio State maybe? But knowing that they were already in the championship game, yeah, they beat Fields, and then going, what's that? Is that when they beat Justin Fields? Yeah, but I don't think that game was on New Year's Eve. One of the New Year's Eve, I think it was the no, it was the Oklahoma year when they beat Oklahoma and they blew Oklahoma off the field, and then Alabama beat Michigan State. So we we went to go to the Slippery Noodle to see the elect on New Year's Eve, and the Alabama-Michigan State game was playing in the background, and I'm watching the elect playing knowing Clemson's work's already done and they're already in the championship game. And it was awesome, and then they went to the championship game and they allowed a fourth down play for Alabama, a tight end slant. and Beer on draft? Beer on draft, of course. Can't do the bottles, man. 
Can't do the bottles. Has to be on draft. Bob Kravitz going to join us next. Two o'clock hour underway on this hump day Wednesday that feels like a Tuesday. So good news, folks. You are just a couple days away from a three-day weekend to ring in 2024. Joining us now on the hotline, he, of course, longtime Indianapolis media member. You can read all of his work on Substack. And in addition to that, follow him, of course, on X Twitter. Bob Kravitz joins us. Bob, I'm going to get right to the Pacer game. We've been talking about it a lot from last night. You know, Rick Carlisle had talked about and discussed the possibility that they were going to have to do something different defensively. And you touched on it going into that game that lineup changes might be in order. And I thought last night they were pretty good defensively, especially comparatively speaking to the way they've been in the past. Well, really, the last last four games, they've been 19th in the league in defense, which sounds pretty humble but for them is quite a quite a step up but yeah I asked Rick after they gave up 74 points to the Orlando Magic in the first half on Saturday I said are you thinking about making some changes and he kind of looked at me like a like my wife usually looks at me like I'm completely crazy and uh, by God he made a switch and I, I I think I think they're a better team they're a better starting group with Neesmith uh, and uh, and Nemhard uh, and Jalen Smith, for that matter, um, the, the problem you have then is with the bench because you, you don't have as good a defense with the bench. So, you know, you, you you gain a little bit and you lose a little bit. But I I thought they played very well last night, and I like to see that lineup uh, uh, play a couple of games and see what they're all about. I thought last night Isaiah Jackson gave him really good minutes. Jalen Smith did yeah. as well. And they offer a little bit, especially if they're out there with Turner, one of the two, they offer a little bit there. Question is, Bob, is the defense – like can they, the Pacers, maintain – their offense and the brand of their offense is what was making them unique. Right. And yet it was coming at the cost of their defense. Can they ramp their offense back up – if, in fact, they're having to commit this much defensively? Well, that's a good question. I, 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 would, I would think there's, a, there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to. I mean, so much of their defensive problems are just effort. You know, I mean, they're not great defensive players individually, uh, by and large, except for Neesmith and Nemhard, guys like that. But I think they can still average 120 plus points per game and play better defense like we've we've seen these last four games when they're 19th in the league in in total defense I mean if they can just be somewhere in that area there's no reason why they shouldn't be a playoff team but that was one game we'll see what they do in the long term Bob Kravitz is our guest. Bob, as you look at the Pacers, and I know you tweeted this a couple, actually, no, just last night when you were talking about the win over the Rockets, that the rose-colored glasses, to paraphrase, from the goodwill that was built up from the in-season tournament is those are off now, and it's time to look at the rest of the year. A lot of that post-IST hangover, and the Lakers experienced it as well, felt like fatigue, do you agree with that premise that, yeah, I mean, they were playing seven games and five nights, whatever the stretch might have been, and either way, 
Should that be something the league looks at as they fine-tune it and be like, you know what, we're going to adopt even more of the European model. We'll have these group play games early portion of the season and then quarterfinals, semifinals, that, that's into February or into March to kind of space this thing out a little more. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I don't think you want to you know, give, give teams a reason not to do well in, in, in the in-season tournament. You know, and if teams look at what's happened to the Pacers, what's happened to the Lakers since the IST, uh, they may say, you know, it, it's not worth it. You know, I mean, certainly the money is very, very nice, especially for guys at the end of the bench. But, yeah, I, I, I could see them uh, continually tweaking this thing and tweaking the schedule so that you, you're not stuck with these, you know, five games and seven nights or whatever, whatever it was with the Pacers. You know, Bob, it's interesting because to me, for the Lakers, you're right. It's probably not worth it. But for Indiana, I feel like it was, and I'll tell you why. Oh, yeah. Because eventually the way that they were playing, they were kind of playing with fire when you're going out there and you're trying to be like the the 83 Nuggets and score 150 points and beat everybody 150 to 145. And what they found out was that when when stuff really is on the line – teams turn up the wick defensively and it totally changes the way that they play and I feel like for the Pacers it was better for a young team to learn that now as opposed to May because they were eventually going to run into that that wall right right. well you see what's happening with Halliburton and you know in a playoff series teams are going to focus so heavily on Halliburton and Rick was talking about the other day how uh, Dirk Nowitzki uh, had to learn to uh, be effective from different spots on the floor, aside from the low post. How Reggie Miller, after the '99 uh, season, uh, how he became a better one-on-one player, so they couldn't, you know, stop. So, so because they were they, they were stopping him on all the pin downs, and he, he couldn't get free for his shot. 2000 was a much different deal once he became a better one-on-one player. So I think Halliburton and this whole team, they're, they're just going to have to get used to, um, you know, being being focused upon, um, you know, in these short series. So, yeah, I, I, I think that this was a good thing for the Pacers. Yeah, they've, they've gone in the, in, the, in the dumps a little bit since then, three and six uh, since the tournament. But – I do think it was a great experience for them, and I think it will hold them in good stead uh, if and when they make the playoffs. Bob, what's the most intriguing storyline in indie sports heading into the new year? Like the one that's going to carry over, and would it be for you this young Pacer team, or is it in fact the Colts? Because we kind of forget about the fact with what they're doing that next year it's somewhat of a reset, but probably an upgrade in totality at the quarterback position. You know, I'm going to go completely off the reservation here that. and say the most the most interesting story heading into the new year to me is Purdue basketball. Hard to argue that because because they 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 go into they go into the spring and they they've got to win. They've no got question. To win anything anything short of of a Final Four is is a, uh, a terrible disappointment. So look, I, I think the Colts are interesting but you know uh right now without their quarterback they're they're about it they're look they're overachieving 
I, I think the Pacers are intriguing. Uh, I'll be very curious to see what they do with Buddy Heald, uh, maybe maybe uh, uh, TJ. Uh, they're going to have to move some people. You know, do they try and take a run at Pascal Siakam? I think that's really interesting. But I think the story that's going to grab everybody's attention come the springtime is is Purdue basketball. You know, it, for Purdue, and, and it's interesting, Bob, because there are two ways to look at it. One is to say that the shortcomings of Purdue have put them in this position. And the other is to say, no, it's actually the fact that they've been so good now for a couple of years with a roster that most places would have turned over and they got everybody back and everybody bought in. So it's a kudos to what they've been able to do. But do you think Matt Painter approaches March any differently than a year ago, you know, to avoid once again in particular, or, or is it kind of one of those things if they get past the first round, they're home free? I think I think it's going to be like like Virginia. Remember Virginia? I forget who they were playing the year after they lost in the first round to UMBC. Um, they were down by a good 15 points in the first in the first half, if I remember correctly. The next year, the first round game, and they got that one. They won that game, and of course they beat Purdue with that uh, miracle shot by Diakite that sent it to overtime. So I think once they get past the first round, I think it'll be fairly smooth sailing because I think this is the best team in college basketball, and there's just no excuse. Does Matt Painter do something different? I don't think so. I think he just prays that he doesn't have another 16 seed with a bunch of small athletic guards who are going to drive Edie and the rest of that team crazy. But I think the way that um, the way that Braden Smith is playing, Lawyer, I, I just think an extra year for those guys, I think that's going to make all the difference. Gardner-Webb, by the way, is the one that was leading Gardner Virginia. Gardner-Webb. I remember I would, like people were like, there's. I was in an IndyCar event. I can't remember what race I would have been at, probably St. Pete or Birmingham, and walking up and down pit road, and when that game was going on, and people are like, dude, Gardner-Webb's leading Virginia. And you're like, there's no way this is going to happen again. Of course, they, they righted the ship. Um, yeah. You know, the let's go to, to the Colts, Bob. Bob Kravitz is our guest, by the way. And you can read all of his work. Uh, before we get to the Colts, actually, Bob, tell me what you got upcoming here in terms of your Substack column. Well, I just wrote about the Pacers today. Uh, I'm kind of uh, playing it by ear. I'll, I'll probably do something Colts tomorrow. Uh, I'm interested in uh, Jonathan Taylor and the fact that he's done really nothing this year. And how much of that is the fact that he's been injured and he had the hold in to start the season, how much of it is maybe they shouldn't have given him all that money. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, and hopefully I'll have an answer in my column once I get around to writing the stupid thing. The funny thing about it, Bob, with Taylor, and I had mentioned this earlier this week, and I want your thoughts on it. They basically had, did the Colts, three really key players going into the year that you knew were on you know, free agency years or contract years. Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, and Grover Stewart was an important one as well. Um, Mm -hmm. It seems like Pittman and Grover Stewart escalated their value by not being there for different reasons because you saw how much they could be missed. 
And then Taylor, yeah. on the other hand, just created his own absence, and it paid off the most for him. Are they going to pay Stewart and Pittman? I, I think they'll definitely pay uh, Pittman. Um, you know, he, he might get franchised. You know, for the franchise tag, I don't know what it is. It's got to be around $20 million. I think I mean, it's, it's 22 and a half, roughly, is what it would be, 23. And a half, yeah, it's significant. But he's going to get paid. He's not going anywhere. Um, you know, I, I, I need to get to the bottom of Grover's situation. Uh, I, I'm not sure, uh, you know, how that how that's going to impact his, his future with the, with the Colts. But there's no question, when, when he went out, they were giving up a full yard per carry more than when he was in the, in the lineup. So, I mean, clearly he's incredibly valuable. And I would think him, Kenny Moore, uh, Blackman, who unfortunately is hurt right now, but he was, he was having a terrific season. I got to think most, if not all, those guys will be back. Bob, where is the line as you evaluate these final two games for uh, just another missed opportunity in the long line of going on a decade plus now of, oh, they'll either get there or they'll just come up short to making the playoffs versus this roster is incomplete, the franchise quarterback's not out there, they lost another key weapon, hopefully not long-term, but just a a game in Michael Pittman Jr., and this first-year head coach is making the best of a bad situation. He deserves some credit. Well, where's the line there? Well, I look, I, I think that this season has already been a success, whatever Whatever happens these last two games, uh, I hear people comparing it to the situation a couple of years ago when they they went and lost to the Raiders and then they lost to uh, Jacksonville. That was a really good team, though. And if you remember, I mean, they were good all year, and uh, d- despite despite Carson Wentz being, you know, giving us the Carson Wentz experience, I... I just think they're playing with house money at this point. Uh, that team a couple of years ago, I think we all expected them to make the playoffs. And given the teams that they – I mean, they they rolled Buffalo during the regular season in Buffalo. I think it was 40 to 15 or something like that. That was a team that had a chance to do something. This is a team that if they get to the playoffs, they're not going to be there very long because there's just a lot of really average teams that have that have taken advantage of playing a schedule with a lot of backup quarterbacks. Now I realize the Colts themselves have been using a backup quarterback 90% of the time, but um, you know I I think he's the best of the backups. I'll say that. So no, I, I I think they're playing with house money. I don't think this is similar to the situation a couple of years ago. Bob, here's my concern. And I want you, Bob Kravitz, to feel free, because I know you will, to tell me if I'm out of my mind, okay? I, I've, I've looked at this year's Colts season, and I know how much fun it's been for fans, and it's been fun to cover, and it's given us certainly a lot to talk about. And it's been good business for both of us, right? Because people are invested sure. because they've they've overachieved, probably. My Absolutely. concern is that next year, with all the progress that has been made this year, with Shane Steichen and with you know different running backs that you find out you you had some stuff with and and with different defensive players rising to the occasion at times and everything kind of bouncing their way my concern is that next year when you are 
back to square one in developing a young quarterback that an increasingly difficult schedule, a bigger bullseye, and suddenly the ball bouncing opposite directions, that everything can come back in a harsh reality for the Colts and that it can hurt Anthony Richardson. Your thoughts? Well, first, they have got to surround him with with more weapons. You know, I I am so sick. I mean, look, Alec Pierce is a nice, nice young man, and maybe he'll become a player at some point. But I'm tired of hearing all the excuses. You know, look, you know, if you're a good wide receiver, you you got to be able to catch the short ones. You got to be able to catch the ones, uh, you know, uh, in, in the mid range. You know, I mean, you, you. I'm just not a fan. Is what I'm saying. Um, they've got to surround him with better players. Might they have a worse record next year? It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible just because the schedule this year was so soft. You had so many backup quarterbacks like you'll have this week with Aiden, Aiden O'Connell. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think it's good. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I think it could be a, a very challenging year next year because, again, uh, Anthony Richardson's essentially going to be a rookie again because he only played, what, three, right. four games? Parts through. He's going to be a rookie again, and he's going to go through the through the growing pains. And I, I, I think I think they're going to struggle a little bit. Bob, do you get the sense that for Gardner Minshew moving forward, obviously not here because Anthony Richardson is here. Do you get the sense as this season has progressed, he feels like he indeed can be a starter in the NFL, or do you envision a world where no, he knows what he is, and maybe the Colts would even look at retaining him? I think the Colts should do everything they can possibly do to retain him. Um, at what price, I don't know. But, um, you know, Anthony, unfortunately, has not shown that he can stay healthy. It's only a one-year sample size. I understand that. I'm not saying he's, he's injury-prone. But the, this first year has been fairly concerning. And I have said for years that the backup quarterback – is an incredibly important position. We saw what happened in 2000 and whatever it was, 11, when Peyton went down and they're bringing in Kerry Collins and Curtis Painter and Dan Orlovsky. So, you know, I I just think, I I think you need to have a good backup quarterback if you want to be competitive Um, because these guys just don't last any longer. I mean, very few guys are playing all 17. Bob, the other day we were talking about, or I had mentioned that team with Curtis Painter, and I remember when Manning, and it wasn't long after Manning that it was announced that he was going to have the the neck surgery that that we knew that he was not going to play that year. But when they got when they got Kerry Collins, I thought to myself, okay, I, you know they might be able to win nine or ten games. And then <laughs> Kerry Collins came out, and like he looked as he had as much interest in being there as I did at a you know what I mean, at a Barry Manilow concert, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and I am convinced, and I want your thought on this. I know we're going on the way back here, but I'm convinced that Bill Polian, for as much as I have at times questioned Bill Polian in different areas, I'm convinced that Bill Polian realized right away that without Peyton Manning, they did not have a roster. And so 
they made some schematic decisions to go ahead and go with guys that were undrafted free agents or late first-round picks and put them in as starters because he knew at that point what was in play, which was the possibility of Andrew Luck. And, and I'm, so you're, you're, you're saying he sucked for Luck on purpose. Correct. Correct. I think as soon as he – I think at first they, they, they gave it a go with Collins, and once he saw that Kerry Collins couldn't play, then he realized he was stuck, and so they put Curtis Painter in there until it was – too far gone where they basically had secured the number one, and then they went to Orlovsky. Your thoughts? Yeah, Orlovsky almost screwed it up. I, you know, I'll never forget Tom Moore, the, the great old offensive coordinator. Somebody was, was talking about how the backup quarterback never takes any reps with Peyton Manning around. And somebody said, uh, somebody said, you know, what do you do if you lose Peyton Manning? He said, and I'm, I have to use the correct verbiage here. He says, "We don't, we don't practice screwed, right?" And without Peyton Manning, we're screwed. So they don't even, they didn't even bother getting reps for the backups. Um, I think the game has changed a lot, and I, and I think um, the, the way quarterbacks are going. I, what did I read? Twenty six backup quarterbacks this year. Some some crazy number. Um, you've got to have a solid backup, even if it's for two, three games. Look at look at the Jacksonville Jaguars. You know they they need somebody who can get them through these couple of games without uh, Trevor Lawrence. And and they, they just signed. Don't I don't know if you saw Jacksonville just signed uh, off the New York practice squad. Uh, Matt Barkley, so they know that. Well, that, there's there's a game changer. Well, but what I'm saying is that, that that probably means they know that that at the most critical time, Trevor Lawrence may not be around, right? And they got to get a backup right. to their backup. Exactly, exactly. So no, I just I, I'm I'm a big fan of backup quarterbacks. I just even if they don't play, I just think they are so important in today's game. Bob, where are you on the pulse of the city in terms of, and I know JMV talks about this a lot, of like a a vat of suckiness that has happened over the last five to ten years. The idea of this team getting back to the playoffs. The Pacers will have that same weight on their shoulders when we get to April, but but for the Colts being on the doorstep again, the, the importance of, even if it is on the road, being back a part of the postseason national conversation. Well, I think... I, it's it's important in the sense that um, just to, look that they have overachieved. I, I think I think if they don't if they lose the last two games of the season, which I don't think will happen, but if they lose the last two, I still think this season has been a success. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I just I just don't feel like I mean people are going to be pissed off if they and they're going to say oh it's just like the Wentz year and all that sort of thing. But I, I don't think that's the case. I, I, I think you just have to, you know, this sounds soft, but I think you just have to appreciate what Sh- Shane Steichen and and Minshew and uh, the rest have done. You know, we were talking in the press room, like, you know, we go on radio and people ask us, how are the Colts in a playoff situation? How have they won eight games? And, the answer is I'm not really sure. I mean, they 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 got a good pass rush. Uh, they uh, defensively, um, you know, they get takeaways. They had 19 straight games with a takeaway. But other than that, how do you explain it? And I think a lot of it is the schedule and the fact they're playing a lot of backup quarterbacks. 
and the fact that Minshew is the best of the backup quarterbacks. So, uh, no, I, I, I think people will be deeply disappointed, but I, I, I think they're, uh, they shouldn't be, is what I'm saying. They shouldn't be because this team has already gone well beyond at least what I thought they would do. Of course, I, I said they would win three, four games, so what in the hell do I know? Okay, Bob, before we let you go, two things I'm mentioning here on your social calendar. One you probably oh, know, yeah. but here's the other one. You ready? Yeah. I think the best val- – I'm sitting here looking at it right now, and it, and I'm amazed by this, okay? I'm not saying you, Bob Kravitz, but for people listening, if you are interested in taking kids, for example, to go watch a game – when I was a kid, Bob, I grew up here – and my sister went to University of Evansville, and my dad took me to Hinkle to go see Evansville and Butler play, and I loved it because it was Division One college basketball. They were in the MCC at that time. wasn't high level, but I loved it because it was Division One college basketball. You can do that here, and I think for a great value for young kids at the Coliseum to go watch IUPUI play, there are options here. But I think the best story in the area right now that nobody's talking about, other than JMV because he went there, how about the fighting trees of Indiana yeah. State? You can get tickets for like 15 bucks to go watch a team that's, I think, on a 10-game win streak, that's playing at a high level, and Indiana State and what he's done over there and turning that program around is pretty darn cool. Yeah, it really is. And I, I'm a big fan of Greg Lansing, so I was I was a little bummed when they let him go. I like him as well. Great uh, deal. Great, great guy. Was it, was it Shirts? Is that his name? Shirts? Yes. Sheets? Shirts. He, he's done a marvelous job. Obviously, I don't know that much about their program because I don't even know how to pronounce the coach's last name correctly. But they got that one kid, the kid with the goggles. What's his name? Uh, oh, uh, the, gosh. The, the Jokic clone, right? The Jokic guy, yeah. The, the, exactly. collegiate, the collegiate Jokic is, is essentially what we're going with, right? Right, exactly. But in reality, you are correct. He is obviously a 6'10 big man that they kind of use to run everything through, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Robbie Avila from Illinois. Robbie Avila, that's it, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I have not seen them play once all season long. So I, I could sit here and try and sound smart about them, but I would fail miserably. You know, Butler, I think I'm going to go. They're they're playing on the third. They got a game. They got a home game on. I think it's a Wednesday night at seven o'clock. And I think I'm just going to go. I think I'm buy tickets and just go over. It's going to be like our Springsteen impromptu trip, Bob. I'm just going to drive over and see who wants to go. Which leads to my last point. And you don't have to commit now on the air. Put you in a bad spot. But I'm telling you, Michael from the elect has told me that if you make an appearance on New Year's Eve, they're going to do Springsteen songs for you at the Slippery Noodle. If he does Rosalita, I'm there. <laughs> I'm telling you, I think we can get him to do it, man. You, you oh, met Michael. Man. You saw how free-floating he is and how he's just a laid-back oh, dude. He, I think he'd do it. He is, he's a great guy. You know, we, we we were invited to a New Year's Eve party uh, just yesterday, and I'm like, well, I I seem to remember that Jake called one night and <laughs> said, let's all get together. So I... We'll have to figure this out in the next couple of days. Well, you text me if you're going to make it over there, and Marty Bacon at the Noodle will make room for you. We might even get you a parking spot. But I understand your dance card's always full. Well, you know I'm taking an Uber, man. (laughs) 
<laughs> Fair enough. You know I'm taking an Uber. Good point. That's right. I Ubered you all the way to Chicago, so I should know, right? Hell yes. There's no way I'm getting behind the wheel. Well, that's smart. Bob, happy new year to you, man. We always appreciate right, it and look guys. forward to your columns. All right. Take care, man. All right. Bob Kravitz joining us on the program. I'm telling you, I think it's a week from tonight. Indiana State is at home. And I'm looking online right here. Now, the trees, you want to talk, the trees have won. They got Michigan State coming up. Uh, is that tomorrow? When do they play Michigan State? The 30th. What day of the week is the 30th? A Saturday. It would be Saturday. So Saturday, they're in East Lansing, right? Then they got Evansville over in Terre Haute a week from tonight. Is that a week from tonight? The, the third? At 7 Wednesday, o'clock. Yep, I, yep. I think I'm going to head over there. I should just buy like four tickets and whoever wants to go like meet me at Monument Circle. We're just going to drive and go. I'll, I'd like to get JMV there. But he's on the air, of course. He he wouldn't be able to make it. On Saturday? No, he's talking about the Wednesday No, Wednesday game. night. The Wednesday, oh. game, Wednesday night against Evansville. Live show from Indiana State? <laughs> How about that, man? <laughs> I did a live show from Indiana State when they played Butler and then beat him. Really? Yeah. John McDonald, a sales guy for the radio station I was working for at the time, stormed the court. He he and like 25, 20-year-olds. And then, like one one fifty year old dude in a suit running out there <laughs> hugging players. <laughs> Who's this guy? <laughs> the Aces, on the other hand, Evansville's actually off to a decent start, right? Isn't Evansville ten and two? I I think I could be wrong in that. I think they. I'm looking at it right here. Evansville's lost to BYU and Missouri State. That program was absolutely in the tank, and they're ten and two. I didn't realize that they turned things around. Good for them because that program was, I mean, on, on literally on life support. The Michigan State game is going to be important for Indiana State for sure. Michigan State has played a grueling schedule, and in Tom Izzo fashion, I think they might be kind of starting to figure things out. So that's a little bit dangerous, a little bit dangerous. But if you get the win, then it oh, could be as dangerous as you want. The door, right? Because it's I, a big resume win for the Honestly, if you get the win, then you're probably like, I mean, here's the million-dollar question. If Indiana State beats Michigan State, and they are, at that point, I think they'd be either 11 or 12 and 1. If they win that game, do they get a vote in the AP Top 25? Ooh. I thought they got votes already. I'm looking right here. Um, Indiana has a vote in the coaches poll. In the media poll, I see Iowa State, San Diego State. I don't see uh, Grand Canyon. I don't see Indiana State. No. Yeah, you're right. No votes in the AP. That's what I want to see. I want to see them get a vote. I want to see them ranked. What the hell? Let's go for it. Yeah, I I think if you get a win over Michigan State on the road, you should... I mean, they should at least merit. Cons- I mean, as much as like James Madison. I mean, James Madison's twelve and zero. Let's look at J- who's James Madison beaten. They're they're twelve and zero. They beat Michigan State. Okay, great. Right. First I was game- thinking of last week. They got a vote in the coaches' poll last week. Then why mm-hmm. would they drop one if they? You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, that Michigan State's the win that gets you in. You get that win over Michigan State. You're right because James. Ma- you, you, know, you know James Madison beat. They beat Michigan State, and that's obviously impressive. Michigan sure. State to open the year. Mi- James Madison beat Keystone. That's the a, they beat, I didn't know they had a school. They, That's they crazy. beat Keystone, wow. right? I mean, what what was Kessler off the schedule? <laughs> they got Keystone. Great. All right. Keystone. 
Keystone only brought half their roster because the other half was under construction. That was after a back-to-back against Fall Creek the night before, so <laughs> it, was, right. it was tough. Exactly. Keystone actually really slows things down. That's the thing. They try to slow you down, Keystone, but you can you can get around it, and they did exactly that. James Madison, come on. Indiana State should be ranked over James Madison. Nothing against JMU because Indiana got their football coach from there. See, now I'm torn because two people have already reached out to me very kindly to let me know that they have a ticket if I wanted to go to Indiana State. You just heard John talking about it there. Um, Tyler King, for example, whose dad, Mike King, long time, well, I mean, I'm forever indebted to Mike because he's the guy that brought me on the IMS radio network. Legend. And Mike's one of my favorite people on the planet. I mean, we've had a ton of fun together over the years. And Tyler's like, hey, my, my dad would probably love to see you. My only thing is I would like to buy the tickets just because I want Indiana State to sell more tickets because they, they deserve it the way that they have played, right? Um, speaking, by the way, of athletics in the state of Indiana as it relates to Indiana on the college level, Eddie, we do have breaking news. Former Indiana Mr. Football, I'm pretty sure that that's correct, and Ball State running back most recently for UCLA, Carson Steele. After 847 rushing yards this year for the Bruins – where he averaged five yards per carry, by the way, in Chip Kelly's offense, and added, by the way, to that, another just under 200 yards in receiving has announced that he will forego his eligibility to enter the NFL draft. Now, the question for either of you guys, is Carson Steele an NFL player? I... I realize this is awful radio, and I apologize. This is what happens when we have our on the fly. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying he's going to be a uh, a household name at the running back position. But like, if you are a player that is able to sustain, you mentioned Jake in basketball. How players all the time, the best player at high school, they're one of the best players in college, and they find their life in the NBA. Correct, and they sink or swim based on accepting a role. And no longer being that best player, uh, correct. Like that, he's that, not going to go in and be a primary back correct. somewhere. That, that that is life in the NFL for running backs today. If but you are willing to him, have a role, then yeah. Here's the thing: he's six one two twenty five. That guy has exceeded. Like I didn't think he was going to be a great college player based on his size, and from the time that he was a freshman at Center Grove, I mean, every step of the way he has exceeded expectation. And I would agree with you that it's it's really hard to envision where it may be that he gets the chance. But at this point, it'd be really hard to rule him out, man, because he has answered every single challenge. I didn't think there was any way that he was going to be a five-yard per carry carrier in a program like UCLA. And that's not something that's going to be asked of him necessarily at the next level. But, like, yeah, as even his build, or it might not jump off the page... That's not a stylistic size that rules you out anymore at that position with how right. NFL is and with how quickly teams go through running back. So, no, I think that as long as you're willing to realize that it's it, it could be a long road and you'll be either bouncing around teams or you'll be trying to fight for where your slice of the pie is, as long as you have those expectations, which I think he will, yeah, why not? Have you guys watched any of the bowl games? I watched a brief bit last night, but no, I've not. Kansas Eddie? and UNLV last night, right? That was fun. Not Defense was optional. And now that you say that, I don't remember. Kansas what I beat UNLV and then they fought afterwards, right? Yes. I did see that on Twitter. I watched a little of Texas State and Rice 
Is that what you were watching, Jimmy? You were watching Christian McCaffrey's brother? Yes. Dixie State? No, that's not what I watched. I, I, Minnesota Bowling Green is what I watched some of. It was a 2 o'clock game yesterday. Who won that game, by the way? Minnesota's like 5-8. Minnesota like five and eight? Six. Yeah, Minnesota won. So they got now, they're now only two games under 500? There you go. Cool. Um, <laughs> how about Friday when we're on the air? I'm going to miss the entire Clemson Bowl game. I'm going to miss part of the Notre Dame Bowl game. Yeah, you're right. Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. Would you rather be in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl and go to El Paso or the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl in Jacksonville? Give me the give me El Paso. Ooh, really? Only like, for which, the name. I'm, all, I'm, you... I'm buying the brand there. The Tony the Tiger Bowl. If I'm not getting like a month's at least supply of Frosted Flakes for that bowl game, then I don't know what we're doing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I guess now players could use the Tax Slayer service because of their NIL money, right? <laughs> I think the Gator Bowl still has some cachet yeah, to it, does yeah, it not? Yes. The Sun Bowl, I felt bad for Purdue because the Sun Bowl early, like when Purdue went to the Sun Bowl, it was kind of exciting. And then they went like like nine years in a row. And after a while, you're like, <laughs> uh, okay, we've kind of done all of the ac- activities there are to do here. Time for a solar eclipse for these bowl games. That's we right. Need to, need to move away from the Sun Bowl. But I think the thing that's going to be interesting in the bowl games, first off, it, it's, it is disappointing. I, and I don't know how you take care of this and I feel bad for the bowl games themselves because you have certain bowl games that the team that's in it is like thrilled because they haven't been to a bowl game forever and then you have other bowl games that you know that that the fans and the teams there are like really I remember covering a Tennessee football game because Peyton Manning had gone back to UT and Tennessee lost at home to South Carolina. This would have been like probably 05, maybe 04. Towards the end of the Phil Fulmer era in Tennessee. It might have been actually the game that kind of put it over the top. So Tennessee loses this game. It, it was a night game. They lose at home to Steve Spurrier and South Carolina, who wasn't very good. It knocked them down and relegated them down to like <laughs> – Basically, they're going to be 500, so they're going to be bowl eligible based on their name recognition. And afterwards, there were two guys in there from the Liberty Bowl, and they had on like polyester sport coats with the patch that said Liberty Bowl. And as they were in there to invite Phil Fulmer to the Liberty Bowl, it was like being in a mausoleum. It was like a funeral. Everybody's staring at the floor like (laughs) Phil Fulmer's wife is in there crying. And these two guys are so excited at the opportunity to invite Tennessee to their bowl game because they're used to having like South Carolina and, you know, Minnesota. And the guy goes up to ask Phil Fulmer officially to invite him to the Liberty Bowl. And I'll never forget his patch came unattached on his little sport coat <laughs> and and like was like flimsy and falling off. And I thought, man, this is sad to see. But there are teams that if they go to a bowl game like that are thrilled to be there, right? Florida State, the reason my point here, Florida State, and this is the, this is the situation that you run into. I don't even blame them per se. But Florida State's roster, they have like 27 players that have opted out of that game. Yep. Including their what would have been their starting quarterback yep. is transferring. That was tough. 
because you have all this whole battle of, oh, we were robbed and it's the ACC's fault, which it kind of is, and all this other stuff. But then, like, look, I don't fault players for any of this, but I will make one exception. It doesn't matter. All it is is moral victory, pride, all that good stuff. But the idea of lacing them up one more time and taking down Georgia, like all everybody buying in because, hey, we were disrespected by the committee or approved to them they made a mistake. You're not going to have that now because of the amount of opt-outs, because of the amount of indifference totally. that you have about this game. And the national narrative will then change for those that don't know about all those opt-outs that don't follow it closely. And they'll say, well, see, that's why they didn't put them in because Georgia beat them by 20. Like there has to be a level of pride there for me in that scenario. Can you imagine if Florida State actually wins that game? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can't imagine. Like, I, I can't see it happening. So you know, I said, "Can you imagine?" I, more than twenty players. I think it's twenty-seven players, right? Are like, "Yeah, I'm good." Yep. And I kind of get it. I, I understand it to an extent because of just the as a fan. It is so hard when you are, I mean, I'm a Clemson fan. You're a Notre Dame fan. Like when you have the years that you are convinced that are going to be a potential national championship year, and then you're kind of relegated out of that. Tony, the tiger is going to be high-fiving Marcus Freeman. Like, I'm sorry. It's not the same. I'm I'm sorry. That's right. That's right. And so can you imagine, you know, players that are going to, Florida State or Notre Dame or Clemson are going there to play in the college football playoff. They're not going there to get cereal and like you know mountain trip border border trips, right? Yeah. Um, and that's why I don't fault the players because they're it, like, look, I get it. Bowl I can't imagine the level mean, of yeah. I mean, bowl games used to mean something, but if you are not, and they're going to keep some of the names and, and remodify it for the twelve team expansion next year, but if you're not there. And you're a program with real expectations. Like it is a money making cash grab. Nothing is really gained from it as a player. I don't. I don't buy into the need that you need to go and be a part of the AutoZone Liberty Bowl because your team is there. Like do what's best for you. You're not going to get high level compensation if you get hurt in the game. You don't know anybody anything. When Indiana had Bill Mallory, bowl games. You know, obviously there were fewer bowl games. But Indiana's program was such that it was a massive deal for them to get to a bowl game. Sure. And I can still tell you, they went to the All-American Bowl and lost to Sammy Smith in Florida State. Then they went to the Peach Bowl, where they lost to Tennessee or Auburn. Then they went to the Liberty Bowl and beat South Carolina. Then they went back to the Peach Bowl at that time and lost to Auburn. So it was Tennessee first, then Auburn. Then they went to the insight.com bowl which at the time was known as the copper bowl and blanked baylor i think it was 31 nothing and that was their last bowl win they've been back to bowl games since but that was their last bowl win but it was a big deal because indiana was not accustomed to going to bowl games and it truly meant something but yes to your point there's a difference between the level of expectation of player going in to an indiana versus the others what is the line right now on Florida State, Georgia? It's got to be 27, right? One for each player that's opted out. And I'm sure Georgia had players that opted out. Georgia got screwed too. Florida State got really hosed, right? <laughs> what was your guess? 27? 18 and a half. Uh, 
You'd have to take that at this point, right? I think so. I mean, I, I hate I hate double digit spreads across the board, but yeah, that's probably the way to go. I mean, that's that that that's a spread that you would see on the second. Or if it got to your level, that's a spread you see on the second week of the season when it's like Georgia versus Idaho. So tonight, tonight's bowl games: the Military Bowl, Virginia Tech and Tulane. You can start thinking about these for your plays of the day, Jimmy. The most horrific moment in sports happens tonight. Oh. Actually happens towards the yes. end of John's show. No. Yes. No. I've lost the Oh wait, oh is it tonight? Yes, and is it's it, on is it tonight? It's on our airwaves. Oh, is it really? Yes. Oh man. Why don't we have something in here in honor of it? Because we the chairman of the That's board okay. right. hates the said product. That's okay. Yeah. North Carolina and West Virginia. There's nothing more appropriate than West Virginia and North Carolina in the Mayo Bowl. The Duke's Mayo Bowl. I mean, that's caviar in the Appalachians, right? Like the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Of course, North Carolina and West Virginia. They ain't. That'll taking, be a nice turnout. They ain't taking <laughs> USC, right? No, but like nobody from Southern California or even like Colorado, they ain't playing in the Mayo Bowl. They're like, what's our target audience? Oh, where do people most often eat? Can we partner with Wonder Bread? The Duke's Mayo Bowl, North Carolina and West Virginia, at which point the winner gets, and it should be the loser. It should be the loser gets dunked in mayo, which, of course, is the spawn of the devil. I'm not it's the, the only worst one that, stuff on the planet. I'm not the only one that utilizes it, especially with the tenderloins in this fine state. Uh, I love a no. good Indiana breaded tenderloin with some mayo. Yes. Mayonnaise is the most disgusting condiment known to man. It is awful. It is, what is it? Egg whites? Puke. Like vinegar? Puke. What else is in there? Deliciousness. What's in there? Oh, horrific. Yeah. I'm telling you right now, like... It is the most, anyway, I digress. DirecTV Holiday Bowl, Louisville and USC tonight. It's actually a decent game, right? But those are two teams, again, I mean, Louisville was right on the cusp of potentially being in the conversation for the, and, and it, like, in the next year, Louisville is a team that would be in the playoff, right? Yeah, I mean, there was a conversation for it this year. And then you got USC, forget about it. Um, in terms of the year. And then A&M and Oklahoma State in the Petco Park San Diego Bowl. So which one are you lo- are you locked in for all of them? You, you're going to watch them all just back to back to back? Is that your? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The the NRG Stadium uh, Houston Tax Act Texas Bowl is Texas A&M and Oklahoma State. Okay, don't disrespect a I, legacy you know, you, game like I'll that. I'll tell you what I'm guaranteed to watch. What I'm guaranteed to watch is the beginning of the Louisville-USC game because – by doing that, it means that I don't have to see the horrific act of absolute, like, satanic porn of the mayo being dumped on somebody at the end of that other crap. Not going to watch it. Not going to watch it. I'm telling you. And, and, okay, and everybody the, the, in the crowd is going to be eating mayonnaise sandwiches. The, Great. Wi- the window is here. Jake's going to like me less now, but it is it's what it is. It's not even the main brand of mayo. No, I know. It should be it should be helmets there. Anyway, uh, when they dump the coach in mayo, you can tweet him at Jake Query with those no, videos. not going to do it. Go ahead and do it. Blocked. Immediately blocked. <laughs> you, you think there's any coincidence that the most famous the show, brand? Twitter account. Think about this. What does somebody company. say when they first taste mayo, mayonnaise? The very first time they taste it, what do they say? Yum. Delicious. No, they go, hell, man. Nice. Awful. Nice. Well done. That's good. I tipped the cap. Where do you think the name came from? The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me. All right? I'm not a f- 
Athlete, this is my way. This is how I win. Today's plays of the day. First, we go across the pond. Take Manchester City to win on the money line against Everton. That is a Premier League game that they have to have. In the NBA, we will take the Phoenix Suns to win the money line over the Houston Rockets. Bowl season time is ongoing. We'll lay the six on Louisville tonight against USC in the Holiday Bowl. And then God's gift to man, the Duke's Mayo Bowl, will scoop the five and a half, North Carolina five and a half point dogs against West Virginia. That tonight at 5.30. Of course, those celebration videos, again, you can send at Jake Query on Twitter. Nope. As a matter of fact, Chris Whitlock, every night I watch back-to-back <laughs> episodes of Seinfeld on, like, Channel 252, and every other commercial is Chris Whitlock talking about how he enjoys covering high school kids, which is totally cool. So, and I love Chris Whitlock, and I respect his work. And it's sad that I have to block him because he just told me that he loves Duke's Mayo. Or is it Duke's Mayo? Is that what it is? He said it's fabulous. It's better than Hellman's. It's got a, a, a it's total heaven, he says. I'll have to total try heaven. some. I've never, I've never had Duke's Mayo before, so maybe I need to. Well, that's what we had in our coffee on the morning show with Dykton and Bowen. And I, See, but that is, that is objectively quit, gross. I just quit tasting it like two weeks ago. Like, th- there are certain things that do not Everything go together. it's gross. Do you think that Will Levis thought, hey, that guy had peanut butter and chocolate, all of a sudden he made a masterpiece, Look, and then then it was like, oh, no, this is actually going to be my masterpiece. It's not. The viscosity Gross. of the mixture of mayonnaise and saliva alone when someone eats it all right. is absolutely okay. disgusting. It's disgusting. What, what do you put mayo on? Primarily tenderloin. Okay, tenderloin's fabulous. Why do you, what's it, why do you need mayo? I just like I like I like I like that added into the flavor of the tenderloin. Uh, Eddie, what do you put mayonnaise on? A chicken sandwich. Sometimes I um, combine it with ketchup and put it on a burger. <laughs> a burger's great. Ketchup's good. Why screw it up? Why, why need any more? Right? I don't have a problem with it. Sometimes there'll be like a like a a horseradish mayo that I just find very tasty. It's not as Sorry to gross out the audience and Jake. It's not as thick as regular mayo, and it has a little bit more spice to it. Plop. Okay, Jake. Uh, do you do you eat Chick Fil A? Do I eat Chick Fil A? I like yes. Chick Fil A. Yes. Do you use any other sauces? No. Okay, never mind then. You're about to shatter a world. Chick Fil A is fabulous. Why would you need sauce on it? Chick Fil Chick Fil A sauce is. Rake, do you like mayo? Greg Rakestraw just walked in. He is in for JMV. Does it look like I like mayo? <laughs> I don't know. That's why I'm that's why it's, I, I, I was going to ignore the crosstalk thing, and I was sitting here bubbling outside, and I'm like, okay, I, I have to chime in here. One, the standard arrogance of Jake, thinking that his taste buds match everybody else's on the planet. Why would you ruin it? Maybe people like it. However, I will act as the prosecuting attorney on this case in your behalf. Oh, wow. Okay. Of the four of us that are having this conversation right now, clearly one of us doesn't like mayo. That's you. I would follow up with, who is the skinniest of the four of us having this conversation right now? That's you. The state it's rest, awful. your honor. You're it's, done. It's awful. It's, your, it's, it's like do you do you listen? I like stuff that's that, that's not healthy. Don't do, get me wrong. Do you like iced tea? Like like not, not like the wrapper. You know I what? Mean, like, I mean like the drink. Uh, I I do not believe okay. it or not. I actually I don't either. But I also then realize it's probably more of my taste buds than it is like the entire planet has uh, yeah, it wrong. I, does tea have an acquired taste? Because every time I'm it, not to going me, to acquire it, so no. Right, I, like I, <laughs> you and I have been around long enough. We're not going to acquire like, it by uh, now. Am I just going to go out and rake leaves and just put them in my mouth and chew them up? Because that's what tea tastes like to me. It just tastes like leaves. I'm going to take your word for it. And no, I would describe it as something else, which I can't say. You know, probably <laughs> via FCC regulations. Fair enough.
And we can't have you violate FCC violations because you were on for the next couple of hours. And the right? fine would go to John and not me. That's the way it works, right? <laughs> wow. If uh, you drop bombs and you're go. filling in for somebody, somebody else is paying the fine, right? I like that. Okay. Well, I saw you brought money in, so I, I, I guess did. you're ready to go. Five whole dollars. Uh, Greg Rakestraw is in next, and he will bring you home. And do not send me Mayo videos unless you want to be blocked. Magic we'll work. be back tomorrow at noon.